Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, we're going to continue our study through Corinthians, but we have a little uh, precursory study that we're going to, going to have, like some uh, uh, additional passages to have a nice base plate on our study in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, but I have to say, this is regarding a subject matter uh, that is very uh, sensitive for me personally. Uh, it has to do with marriage. Uh, the topic of marriage. I will teach till I'm blue in the face about the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the very sensitive topics, seemingly sensitive topics. I say sensitive topics, but the more you grow in Christ, the more you mature in Christ. I don't care what your past is, sex, drugs, rock and roll, the whole nine yards. I don't care what your past is because past is prologue, but you're going to grow. You're going to mature in Christ. And I can teach about difficult subject matter with the hope that a person will come out of that lifestyle. If they're a, a, a crackhead, to come out of the crack, leave the crack behind. If they're a sex head, leave the sex behind. If they're pornography, prostitution, whatever it is, to come out of that lifestyle and be alive in Christ and go and sin no more. But when it comes to the topic of marriage, I, 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 I don't like teaching about marriage and it's not because uh, um, you know marriage it's it's not like I want anybody to come out of marriage I, it's nothing like that at all but I, I don't like teaching on this particular subject matter because you know it just so happens that we're, we're here in first Corinthians 7 but for me personally I don't like teaching on the subject matter because I don't want to hurt anybody I don't want to hurt anybody because sometimes I talk to husbands and wives, you know, and the wife will say, you know, tell my husband that he needs to be more uh, 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 sensitive to me. And it's in my mind when I hear that, it's like, oh, you know, that's that's carnality for both husband and wife. It's carnality in both. I don't say it, but it's in my mind like, oh, Lord, what, 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 uh, uh, what do we do, Lord, to be on my face before the Lord? Like, you know, Lord, let's fix this situation and intercede for a couple. And then the husband will say the same thing. You know, I'll tell my wife that she needs to submit to me. It's like, you know, in my mind, it's like it's, it's hurtful. It's painful because it's like, well, wait a second, husband. Before you're going to even say that to your wife, before you're even urge that to your spouse, are you in submission to Jesus Christ? What does your submission look like to Jesus Christ? Me personally, I think wives have it pretty good in Christ. I think wives have it pretty good because the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. That's what he says. The word became flesh. Malachi chapter 2, verse 15, don't deal treacherously with the wife of your youth. Remember, wife of your youth. I can't tell you how many times I've spoken to husbands before and they say, oh, you know, my wife, she's let herself go. She doesn't look like this. And look at our wedding picture. Look how she used to look. And then now look, you know, 40 years later, 50 years later, well, maybe not 50, 20 years later, 30 years later, five years later, she doesn't look like she did on our wedding day. And then we open up to Malachi 2, verse 15. It's like, wait a second, the wife that you're speaking about the Bible refers to her as the wife of your youth, not the wife of today, not the wife, you know, maybe she put on some weight. She's more wrinkly now, you know, maybe she lost an arm. Maybe she's lost some teeth. I don't know. But the, the, the bride that you refer to, what she's not like anymore, the Bible says she's the wife of your youth. I, said, I, I think wives have it pretty good. Not only that, but Brother Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, Honor your wife that your prayers be not hindered. 
See? I don't want my prayers to be hindered. <laughs> you see? So it's like, wow, you know. That's why sometimes, you know, it's like before I, I even open up my Bible, if there's any kind of issue that, that's with my wife, my own bride, if there's any kind of issue, I, I can't even open up my Bible to like, like even like pick it up to open up and read. You know, it's like, wow, I have to make sure that I'm right with my bride. And then I come and open up the Bible and it's like, okay, I feel, because I don't. Like when I when I read and I study and, and, and I open up my Bible, I'm like I'm like constant sometimes I'll read like one word and then I'll pray, you know, and then I'll read like another sentence and then I'll be praying and then it's just it 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 I, I don't want my prayers to be hindered. I want that that line no kinks in that line from me to the Lord. And in order for there to be no kinks in that line, the Bible says, Brother Peter, in spite of the spirit, says, Honor your wife. For there to be no kinks in my prayer life with the Lord. I don't want kinks in my prayer life. You know, to talk to husbands. Husbands who say, oh yeah, you know, the, the Lord doesn't respond to my prayers like this. He doesn't, you know, he takes forever. He does this. It's like, wait a second. Are you honoring your wife? How are you honoring your wife? Or are you bringing dishonor to your bride? Dishonor to your home? Because in those manners, you know, the, the prayers can be hindered. And so me personally, I don't, very rarely will I speak to somebody who gets what I'm talking about when I talk about marriage. Very rarely, even those close to me, friends, family, I almost feel as if nobody gets it. That's how I, that's how I feel. I'm going to reveal my carnality to you, reveal a little bit of my uh, fleshly mindset. I almost feel as if nobody understands, nobody gets it. And I don't mean to say that like, wow, you know, uh, uh, like uh, to exalt exaltation of self. But I'm just saying that's how I feel. Like nobody gets it. You talk to a husband and wife, it's like, man, nobody gets it. You talk to your friend, you talk to somebody close in your family. It's like, man, does it, nobody gets it. And so I don't, li I don't like the subject matter of marriage. Not because marriage is not beautiful. It is beautiful. But being a forward-looking people, there is such thing as a better marriage that awaits. I mean, there, there's been times in, in, in fellowship where, you know, there's one time, you know, I was talking with two ladies. And my wife was there. So it's like two ladies and my wife. And one of the ladies asked me, hey, would you get married again? And I just said, no way. And then they look at my wife like, you know, and one of them said, what did you do? They look at my wife, what did you do? Like, why does your husband not like this idea of marriage? No, I'm, I wouldn't have this perspective were it not for my bride. I wouldn't have this perspective because it was through my own marriage where I was able to understand these aspects about another marriage that awaits us. And I'm speaking about the bride with her bridegroom. And so, you know, these ladies, they looked down on my wife like, like she was the problem. And since that happened, it's just like, that's when I realized like, wow, nobody gets it. Nobody even understands. So I just, I, I just, I don't like talking about the subject. And now if they're a husband and wife that has marriage problems, I'll talk to them. You know, we'll pray, we'll do everything. We'll have counseling. We'll, we'll, but me personally, I just don't like talking about the subject matter. But the reason why is because of immaturity in the church. Immaturity. Among the saints. And I don't say that in any boastful way at all. You know, my boast is in Christ. 
but I just have a different perspective on marriage. And it, it's not really, it shouldn't be different, but it's, nobody gets it. And I pray it's you. I pray you're listening and you're like, oh, okay, I get it now. I pray it's you. But in my experience, in my uh, little sphere of those around me, nobody gets it. You know, nobody gets it. Friends, family, it's like, wow. And even in the church, you know, when these two ladies were like, they looked down at my wife like, but no, nothing could be further from the truth. I wouldn't have these eyes were it not for my bride. You see, and so a lot of husbands, you know, they like to, wives submit to me, wives submit to me, wives submit to me. And that's not the right mindset to have. I know the Bible says wives submit to your own husbands. I know the Bible says that. But there's more written. Husbands submit to Jesus Christ. You see, it's a two-way road. And so this passage, before we get started in our study in Corinthians 7, let's turn to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19. And in Matthew 19, verse 7, it says here in uh, Matthew 19, verse 7, they said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? So the Pharisees are trying to, to trick the Lord. And in, in verse 8, he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Remember, the law, I mean, we've studied Exodus, Leviticus, we're in Numbers on our Wednesday study. But don't forget, there's Genesis, pre-law. Adam and Eve, you see? That's, these are marriages that are pre-law. And so we see here, in, and I love how Jesus Christ, he points to the beginning. From the beginning, it was not so. He goes before the law. And in verse 9, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. His disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. Wow. And then in verse 11, but he said to them, all cannot accept the saying. All cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. He says here in verse 12, for there are eunuchs. Now, eunuchs is castration. Castration. You see it in the Old Testament, and you see the Lord mentioning it right here. You see the Ethiopian who was a eunuch. We studied that in the book of Acts. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs. For the kingdom of heaven's sake. You see, I think, you know, metaphorically speaking, metaphysically speaking, supernaturally speaking, if you're a pastor, get used to the idea of being a eunuch. Spiritually speaking, get used to the idea of being a eunuch. There are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuch for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. You see, so the disciples asked him, Lord, if this is the case, then it's better not to marry. That's a hardcore question, you know. It's better not to marry. So understand, you know, there is, there is a coming day that's where the wise virgin, 
We await our bridegroom. We await our bridegroom. The marriage is coming. I don't care if you're single now, if you're divorced now, if you're married now, if you're widowed now. I don't care. I mean, I care that you're a widow. I care that, you know, I care about But in the scope of eternity, we have to keep our eyes on eternity. The destination. You know, keeping our, running our race. And then at the same time to understand that there is a better marriage that's coming. So let's turn really quick to Luke chapter 20. And in Luke chapter 20, we see here in verse 33, Therefore in the resurrection, whose wife does she become? For all seven had her as a wife. So what's happening here is it's the Sadducees who are asking Jesus Christ this question. And, you know, about, you know, that in earth there was, you know, a, a lady who had a husband. The husband died and then, you know, another husband. And then they're referring to in the resurrection, who's going to have, who's going who's gonna to be the wife? Very interesting because, you see, they were trying to trap him because Sadducees don't even believe in the resurrection. It's the Pharisees that believe in the resurrection. The Sadducees don't. And that was the... Uh, 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 a source of division among the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection, and so they're asking the Lord about the resurrection. You see, they're trying to trap him. But that's another subject matter altogether. So they asked the Lord this question. In verse 34, Jesus answered and said to them, The sons of this age, this age, marry and are given in marriage. That's this age. But... Those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. So when, we, when we're in our glorified bodies, there's no more marriages. You're not going to have, you know, like, you know, when uh, like, like here in, in verse 36, nor can they die anymore for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. So we're going to be like the angels and so in our glorified bodies, when we're like the, when we're, uh, like the angels, it's not going to be like, you know, here's husband, angel, wife, angel, and they have their little baby angels. No, it doesn't work that way. I don't care what the movies say. I don't care what you see and read in books. I don't care what you see on the TV shows. You know, no, uh, uh, that's all blasphemous because the word of God says otherwise. You know, in the TV, in the shows, you see, you know, the angels, dad angel, mom angel, and baby angels. But what does the Bible say? No, there's no more marriages in our glorified bodies. You see, no mama angel, baby angel, dad angel, none of that. Verse 36, nor can they die anymore, for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. Remember, Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. That's the rapture of the church, the first resurrection. Remember Jesus Christ, the first fruit? In verse 37, But even Moses showed in the burning bush, bush passage that the dead are raised when he called the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He spoke in the present tense. He didn't say, you know, uh, uh, this was the God of Abraham and was the God of Isaac. No, he said present tense, this is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And remember, the Lord says, I am who I am, not I was who I was. No, I am that I am. For he is not the God of the dead, but of the living for all believe to him. For all, for all live to him. 
He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. For all live to Him, you see. All live to Him. And so when we see this passage and what we looked at in Matthew 19, Matthew 19, the disciples say, wait a second, Lord, it's better not to get married. It's better not to, to marry. And the Lord says, it not, not everybody can accept this. That's why, you know, I say to pastors, Bible teachers, elders, youth leaders, you know, get very comfortable with the idea of being a eunuch. You see? Because as we enter these last days, it's going to get worse and worse. Things are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. Where will the teachers be? Very few. Very few. And remember, the Lord refers to this age in verse 34, the sons of this age. That's you and me today. We are in this age. So if you have a spouse today, praise be to the Lord. But in the age to come, no more spouse. You're not going to get married and have, you know, little baby angels. No. That's the age to come. The coming age. Now, turn to Romans chapter 7. A little refresher course. In Romans 7, in verse 4, Therefore, my brethren, this is Brother Paul writing to the church in Rome. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruits to God. And if you remember our study through Romans, especially in this particular passage, to understand the law and what the law, how the law works, and when you are not under the law, death being required. But then when Paul gives this exhortation that you may be married to another, to him. Paul writes about a better marriage. You might be single now, divorced now. You might be married now. You might be in uh, maybe even in a second or third marriage right now. There's a better marriage to come. And when I say those things, divorce, married, second marriage, third marriage, I'll also say this. If sin is unrepented of, you need to repent. I mean, if you're in your third marriage and you haven't repented and you're just going through wives, going through husbands like crazy, like, you know, like, is a, like a candy bar, no, you need to repent. You need to repent. That is not right. That is not right. There's a lot of things that we're going to discuss today, which they will hurt. This is part of the reason why I don't like talking about it. They will hurt. You're in your marriage. I love your marriage, but it will hurt still. Or you're divorced. It will hurt. Second marriage, third marriage, it will hurt the things that we're going to talk about today, the things that we're going to study. And that's why I don't, I don't like talking about marriage. I don't... We, 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 that's what's so beautiful about systematically going through the Word of God, verse by verse, line upon line, because you can't avoid the subject matter. You can't avoid it. The Lord has us here on, you know, in, in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, the Lord has us here, and so we're going to study it. And I will teach it. I will study it. I will teach it in obedience to the Lord. But, you know, if we were, I just don't like mentioning it. I don't like, you know, I, I'm not going to go out of my way to bring up this topic. Because I don't want to hurt people. I don't want to, people might be married, going having marriage problems. And I don't want to say, well, you know, there's a better marriage coming. You know, as I sip my tea, oh, there's a better marriage coming, sip my tea. Like, meanwhile, they're in, you know, hell on earth. 
But it is true. There is a better marriage coming. Let's turn to Matthew 25 really quick. Matthew 25. Verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil. Took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. That's why you hear me say it all the time. Well, from time to time. And it's going to be even more so as we get further in the last days. Store your oil. Store your oil. Store your oil. And when the Holy Spirit is lifted as prophesied, he who restrains, you know what? You're going to have oil. If you've stored your oil. You're going to have plenty of oil. You see, it's like a spiritual prepper. And people talk about, oh yeah, let's prep for this, prep for this, let's head for the hills. We're going to take our guns and ammo and our cans and ammunition and whatever, and this, supply this. No, the Lord will take care of His people. You see, there's a period of time, it's called the refinement. A period of refinement, and it will happen, it is coming. If it's not already here. Spiritual prep, a spiritual prepper is store your oil. Store your oil because it's going to be dark and it's going to get darker and darker and darker. It's the wise virgins who store their oil. You see? But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps, but while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgin, uh, virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. See? Be very selfish with the oil. That is your oil. <clears throat> Excuse me. That is your oil. It's for you. It's for you. Your relationship with the Lord. Your oneness with Him. Your intimacy with Him. It's for you. One-on-one -on -one love relationship. And you store this oil. And when the days get dark. And the Holy Spirit is lifted. It's going to get ugly on this earth. The restrainer is gone. And then all of a sudden, where is their light? The light is going to be with the people who stored oil. In verse 10, And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. You see? There awaits for you and me a better marriage. And the wise virgins are ready. The wise virgins are waiting. I meant the foolish virgins are waiting too. But they run out of oil. But not so with the wise virgins. Not so with the remnant. And so we look at these precursory studies. Matthew 19, how you know it's better not to marry. And the Lord speaks about eunuchs. But then at the same time, understand that there is marriage in accordance with this age 
how the sons of this age get married and are given in marriage. That's this age. That's this life. And if you're married today, praise be to the Lord. That's this age. But male, female, there's a better husband that is coming. A better husband. I've talked to guys before. They say, well, don't you, don't you feel weird talking about, you know, like we're the bride of Christ? No way. No way. I don't. You see, in, remember Romans 7 verse 4, that you may be married to another, to him. So there's a better marriage that awaits. So, you know, going back to that, that example I gave you where those, those two ladies in the fellowship. And they asked me, you know, would you get married again? I said, no way. And they look at my wife like, you know, she's like the bad guy. No way. No way. It's, it's something that they couldn't see. They couldn't understand. They couldn't fathom. And this is why I don't like talking about it. I don't come across people that understand. But we're going to learn it today. We're going to study it today. And I pray that after today, you understand. And so some of these passages that we're going to look at in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, they're hard-hitting. Married, if you're married, it's going to be hard-hitting. If you're not married, it's still going to be hard-hitting. If you're divorced, it's still going to be hard-hitting. If you're on your second marriage, it's still going to be. But, you know, make sure you have the covering of Jesus Christ. Make sure if you're like in your second marriage and you have all these destroyed spouses behind you, you know, make sure you repent. I mean, you, you're going to have like, you know, you're going to reap what you've sown in this life. But make sure that you're covered by the, make sure that your heart is right with the Lord. Because I've talked to people on their second marriage before. And they're on their second marriage and we have like a men's study. And then like they, they, they pull me aside. They say, hey, you know what? If this is really true, the things that you're saying, the things that it's like, wait a second, the, the Bible says it. And they say, well, wait a second, you know, I could be right with my first marriage. And it's like, whoa, 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 time out, time out. You know, your first marriage, you know, that doesn't mean you destroy a second marriage. No, it, forget, you know, forget whatever's going on in your head. You know, no, repent of this. Are you repented? Yes, okay, then let it be so in your second marriage. You learn from your mistakes. Now you're going to have to reap what you've sown. You know, you pay your, pay your child support. Your Thanksgivings are going to be a mess. Your Christmases are going to be a mess. Your birthdays are going to be a mess. You're going to have to drive over here, drive over there, meet all these people. You know, all these things. It's going to be a mess. And that's part of reaping what you've sown. And you're not going to have a relationship with your child anymore. Your child is going to think this about you. And they might think this about you. And it's going to impact his or her perspective on their marriages when they get married you know it's 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 just a, a big mess but that's reaping what you've sown and i don't want to gloss over it like it's nothing it's a huge deal i'm not advocate i'm not, i don't want to come off as an advocate for divorce but if you are divorced which is very common in church today it's very very common you look at the divorce rate in the world and the divorce rate rate in the church and it's exactly the same identical It's very high. I don't want to gloss over divorce like it's no big deal, but make sure that sin is repented of. Oh, once saved, always saved. I repented when I was 10 years old. You know what? Repent. Just repent. Don't play that game with me. Just repent. Get your heart right with the Lord. Keeps your heart soft. 
moldable, nice and moldable. You know, and let's move on to perfection. You see? We have to understand these passages as the Word of God teaches. Understand that, you know, whether you're single, married, divorced, divorcee, uh, 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 a widow, we have a better marriage to look forward to. If you're a man, you have a better husband to look forward to. And I don't speak, you know, carnally, the ways of the world, a better husband. We are the bride of Christ, one body, many parts. Now, I'll say a little comment about marriage, like weddings. Weddings are okay. (laughs) You know, I don't want to shock too many people, but, you know, like, I'm not going to have full disclosure. I mean, maybe I will have full disclosure, but if I have full disclosure, I'm going to, like, this might be the last sermon you listen to. And I hope it isn't, but there's a a high likelihood that this might be the last sermon you listen to. Because... I'm not, I mean, weddings are okay, you know, people say like, oh yeah, weddings are beautiful, weddings are this, but for me, they're just, eh, they're all right. You know what I think is better? The 20-year anniversary. I think a 20-year anniversary is to be celebrated more than the wedding day. The 40-year anniversary, that's to be celebrated more than the wedding day and more than the 20-year anniversary and then the 60-year anniversary, that's to be celebrated way more than the wedding day. That's my opinion. Because getting married is a piece of cake. You can spend, you know, $5 at, you know, uh, $5 go to the city clerk or whatever, you know, 50 bucks. Or you can spend $50,000 on a wedding. You know, I, I don't care. That's all irrelevant. So weddings, yeah, I, you know, I, I like weddings. I mean, I mean, if if we were like at a wedding, I might lean over to you and say, you know, give you what I really think, you know. But I think the twenty-year anniversary is to be celebrated way more than the wedding day. The forty-year, way more. The sixty-year, way more. You see, that's just my perspective. Okay, so, you know, we, we, a lot of times people say, oh, there's that one perfect guy for me. There's that one perfect lady for me. There's that one perfect. Uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe I won't reveal. <laughs> maybe I won't have as full disclosure as I thought. But don't forget that we're moving on to perfection. I wasn't the perfect guy for my wife. But moving on to perfection, the Lord fixed, the Lord healed. So people always say, there's that one perfect guy, that one perfect lady. Eh, You know, I I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But let us be a people that moves on to perfection. You know, I know for certain there's one perfect guy for all of us, for you and me. His name is Jesus Christ. And he says, will you marry me? That's, do you believe? Will you marry me? We say yes. And he's coming to receive us. We're betrothed to him. We're like engaged to him, spiritually speaking. Now, if you're a non-believer and you're hearing these words, you're listening, you're like, wow, you know what? That sounds so beautiful and I want that. I believe. 
You need to hit pause right now and then listen to the message that's you know, how to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you need to be born again. Become a believer right here, right now. And then when you're done with that, come back and listen to this message. Just continue where we left off. Because Jesus Christ is coming. A lot of times people like to look at the married people in the church. They like to study these marriage chapters. You know, they look at passages such as what we're going to look at today because they're looking for loopholes. They're like, you know, oh, I got to see what the Bible says about this so I can get a divorce and I can be right with the Lord. No, if that's your heart, you need to repent because that's not a good heart to have before the Lord. That's a hard heart. And you're going to come before the Lord with a heart like that? Don't do that. You see, now, if you're in marriage and it's like a prison for you, it's just a vapor, you know. (laughs) You know, it's just a vapor, you know, keep things in perspective. Because we're a forward-looking people, understand that this life is just a vapor. We have all of eternity to look forward to. So, like, you get married and your marriage is like a prison, you know, it's just a vapor. Don't sweat it, you know what? It's... It's going to be okay. One day we will, we will rejoice, you know, in, in paradise. And knowing these things, you can rejoice even here and now. I know a lot of wives who are like in prison in their marriages. And a lot of husbands who are like in prison in their marriages. And it's sad. It breaks my heart. But it's just a vapor, this life. And I don't want to say I don't want good things for a marriage, but, you know, I'll teach and teach and teach and teach and teach until I'm blue in the face. And I have been blue in the face. But a person and their walk with the Lord, they're the ones that need to change. They need to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. You see? It's their walk with the Lord. The same way it's your walk with the Lord. You see? So let's... Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me. Very interesting what Paul says here because it's like, wait a second. I thought thought it was those in Chloe's household. Are there more? And there might be more. Was it Chloe's household? And maybe there was somebody else who says, oh yeah, you know what? I'm with Chloe's household. I don't know. But Paul caught wind of all these things that were happening in the church. And then he starts to speak about deeper concentration, deeper consecration unto the Lord. Deeper uh, consecration. I mean, look at what we've studied so far. Look at all the sex we've studied so far. Chapter 5, chapter 6. There's a lot of sex that we've been studying. I mean, you know. There's good sex, which is married, but then marriage, you know, husband and wife. But then there's the like pornography. We talked about all kinds of, you know, uh, homosexuality, lesbianism, all these things. A guy having sex with his dad's wife. It's like, oh my goodness. Look at all the things that we've studied so far. But then at the same time, it begs the question, well, who is left here? Who is left in the church in Corinth that is, you know, endured chapter 5, who has endured chapter 6? And now we're in chapter 7 and we're on the topic of marriage. You see, and Paul says in verse 1, It is good for a man not to touch a woman, not to attach to a woman. He says, it is beautiful and virtuous. 
for a man not to touch a woman. You see, the church today, you know, we didn't get that memo. You see, don't touch a woman. A lot of people say, oh, yeah, I'm going to go date this girl. And, you know, we're going to do all kinds of, you know, whatever, you know, their sexual stuff. And the girl says, okay, we're going to date this guy or I'm going to date this guy. And we're going to do all kinds of sexual stuff. and We're not going to get married. You know what? Don't even touch. Don't even play that game. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife. Because of sexual immorality, he says. Now, this sexual immorality, don't forget, it's the harlotry, adultery, incest, and fornication. Speaking about sex specifically. Straight up sex. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality or harlotry, adultery, incest, fornication. Remember, he's speaking to the church inside the church, not the world. Corinth is Corinth. The world is the world. He's speaking about the church in Corinth. Because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife. You see? So wait a second. Does that mean marriage is just like a release for sex? Does that mean it's just so a, 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 a person can have sex? Male, female? A guy can have sex with a, a, his wife? A wife can have sex with her husband? Is marriage just for that? Well, it's not just for that. But even if it was, it's much better than to burn in hell. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife. Notice the singularity here. Each man, it's one guy, have his own wife. Sing singular. One man, one wife. And let each woman have her own husband. Singularity here. No side deals, you know, no girlfriend on the side, no boyfriend on the side, no strippers here, no prostitutes over here, none of that. You know, I have to also mention virtually too, because like the pornography, online pornography, it's a big deal in the church today. But since we're in chapter 7, we studied that in chapter 5, we studied that in chapter 6. And the word of God is making division. Truth divides. Remember, Jesus Christ says, don't think I came to bring peace. I came to divide. Truth divides. And here we are in chapter 7 as a people moving on to perfection. You see? In verse 3, let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. Husbands, husbands, men, remember that. Highlight this in your Bible. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. Translates as the kindness that's owed to her. You see, husbands highlight that. Because I see a lot of men in the church, husbands in the church, they like to rule, you know. Oh, the wife submits to me. Can't even find their way out of a wet paper bag. And they're like, oh, look, I am the ruler of my house. Well, Give it to Jesus Christ. Give that throne to Jesus Christ. It'll be much better for you. And also much better for your wife. And your kids. If you have kids. Let the husband render to the wife, to his wife, the affection, the kindness that is owed to her. Not the kindness that he, he gave her when she's good to you. No, she's due your kindness. She's due your affection. And you give it to her. It's owed to her. And likewise, the wife to her husband. You see? 
A lot of times for men, the countenance of your wife, it reveals a lot. I've spoken with wives. I've met wives. I've talked, have deep conversation with the wives who are like slaves in their own home. Slaves, you know, they're like the maids. I mean, it'd probably be better to get a maid. I mean, if that's what you're looking for, probably get better to get a maid because, you know, have a cleaner house, better food, maybe. <laughs> Sexual slaves, wives who are concubines. This is inside the church. I hate to say it that way. I don't want to paint wives in like a, in a bad picture. Wives, you're beautiful. That's what I say. I think wives have it so good. I mean, I read the Bible. It's like, wow, wives got it got better than the kids, better than the husbands. Wives have it good. Because the uh, husbands have to love their wife like Christ loved the church. A husband can't deal treacherously with, his wife, with the wife of his youth. Uh, the, uh, a husband's prayers can be hindered if he doesn't honor his wife. Wives have it pretty good. Now, if you're a wife and you're listening, you're like, man, uh, how come I don't have it good? How come I feel like a slave in my house? I feel like a concubine in my own house. Well, it could be that you're married to a baby. It could be that you're married to a Calvinist. <laughs> you know, it could be all kinds of things. Now, my wife was married to a baby. It was the Lord who raised me and trained me and taught me. I don't mean raised like exalt. I mean raised like, you know child rearing and it was my wife that the Lord used to show me these things so a lot of times you know you talk to disheveled wives they're just kind of like a mess of like basket case why because they're slaves in their own home they're sexual slaves they're maids in their own home they're they they, they, they they're slaves concubines and so if your wife and you're hearing you're like wait a second wow you know like what do you mean wives are supposed to have it good? Wives have it pretty good. I don't get it. You know why? Because you, you, you say this, but look at, you know, I feel like this. Well, pray for your husband. Pray for your husband. Because a, a lot of men are, they look like men. They, they're hairy. They got the muscles, but they're boys. They're little babies. They got the umbilical cord still attached to mommy and daddy. They like that umbilical cord. A lot, of kids, a lot of guys don't like to grow up. They look like men. They look like adults. But then you talk to them and they're like little babies. And you say, I cut the umbilical cord. So they cut the umbilical cord and then they attach it to their wife. Because they like to be babies. Pray for your husbands. Wives, pray for your husbands. Because that's how I used to be. I never had an umbilical cord, but I was still a baby. I mean, I did have an umbilical cord. But I cut that baby when I was 17. Actually, I probably cut it when I was 10. But then, you know, I actually left when I was 17. But men, if you're like a little boy, you know, if you're a, a, a man, but inside you know you're a little boy, you need to cut that umbilical cord. It's not good to have. And don't cut it so you can attach it elsewhere. Just cut it and throw it away. You need to grow up. And so at the same time, it's like, you know, don't forget, men, men, husbands, show your wife the affection that's due, the kindness that is owed to her. It doesn't end there. It's a two-way street. The wife to the husband also. You see, the wife to the husband also. You see a lot of wives, because, because their husbands are babies, and they know their husbands are babies, and their husbands are spiritual babies. You see the wives kind of like uh, they wear the pants in the house. That's not good either. If that's you, if you're a wife and that's you, you need to repent. That's not good. And then you see a lot of wives, you know, they, they like their husbands to be the babies because they can like, they get this like feminist mentality. 
which which isn't good. It's not good at all. And you see that we're going to talk about that in future chapters in Corinth because, you know, Paul addresses that. But the Lord has us here in chapter 7 today. In verse 4, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Now, a lot of men like that. You see, the wife, she, I have authority over her body, so therefore she has to, you know, when it comes to sex, you know, she has to do the sex. Whenever I want, she has to do the sex. And our husbands, I know men who have problems with pornography, and they turn their wives into concubines because of their problems with pornography. You know, a, a, a husband will be at work and be like, oh man, I'm tempted, and then call the wife, you know, five minutes, you better be ready to go. I get home, you know, they do their deed, and then he goes back to work. It's like, what in the world? That's your sexual slave. It's like your concubine. It's like, what, what is happening? So a lot of men, they read verse 4, and it's like, wow, you know, I like this. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. But don't forget, there's more to verse 4. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Remember, the two become one. The two become one. And a lot of people say, oh, I don't like this passage. I don't like this passage. Well, you should have thought about that. Before you said, will you marry me? You know, you should have thought about it before you said, yes, I do. You should have thought about all that. The wife has authority. So it says here, that the likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. So does this mean that the wife has authority over her husband? Well, Spiritually speaking, no. Spiritually speaking, the husband is the authority over his wife as a covering for his wife. The same way Jesus Christ is the authority over a husband, a covering over the husband. But in accordance to the flesh, in accordance to the flesh, yes, the wife has authority over the body of the husband. In accordance to the flesh, you see, and the husband too for the wife because the two are one. Remember all this? Look at chapter 5 and 6, what we've studied the past several weeks. Well, a lot of sex. This is like a sexually active church. I mean, I wonder what Corinth looked like. If the church was this bad, I wonder what the city looked like. Maybe there was no difference. You know, the uh, commercial Corinth, you know, the, 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 the business hub. A lot of commerce going through. It's like the hustle bustle of, you know, the uh, bright lights, big city. And yet you have this church, a little baby church that needs to grow, needs to understand deeper things. Because of this sexual sin that was in the church. I mean, look at the sexual sin in chapter 5. And the sexual sin that I have to also say that the pastors said nothing about. The elders said nothing about. Complicit in their silence. Complicit. A guy's having sex with his dad's wife. The pastor says nothing. The elder. And if you have defunct pastors, why didn't the elders rise up and say, okay, pastor, step aside. You know, we got to handle it. We got to honor the Lord. But you have the elders that are a bunch of yes men. People pleasers, man pleasers. Where were the deacons? Where were the bishops? Where were these so-called bulwarks? No, it was those in the household of Chloe. And then in verse 1, concerning the things of which you wrote to me. So maybe there was more. Maybe there was more. Maybe there was, uh, uh, you know, those in the household of Chloe. Maybe there was another home fellowship that said, hey, Paul, something's wrong here. I don't know. Maybe. 
Look at all the sexual sin that was happening in Corinth. And so what Paul is doing, what the Lord is doing through Paul, Paul is a vessel. What the Lord is doing through Paul is reestablishing order where order had not been. You see, now you see the dangers of a defunct pastor, a defunct elder, defunct Bible teacher. If you're a Bible teacher, pastor, youth leader, uh, uh, elder, you cannot be a man pleaser. You cannot be a people pleaser. You have to be a God pleaser. You must be a God pleaser. Even when people hate you. Even when people want to kill you. Be a God pleaser. So now we see this in verse 5. Do not deprive one another. Now this is sexually speaking. You know, do not do not deprive one another except with consent for a time. Consent here, it translates in the Greek as symphonos, which is where we get the word symphony, but it, it tra- it's like mutual agreement, symphony. It's like sexual deprivation. Don't do that except for a time or a season. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time. So for a season. You know, it's so powerful. Like if you're a young Young couple, like if you're like uh, in that uh, in courtship and you're gonna get married, or if you're single and you want to get married or you want to enter into courtship, well, you have to understand these passages because you know what's so cool about the Bible, what's so beautiful about the Bible, is that the Lord is the one who helps us filter out the riffraff. You know, I mean, say you're like a a, a female and you want to get married. And you say you're like a, a, a young female, you're single, you want to get married. You have to, don't, don't think that these passages aren't for you. Or you're a young male and you desire to have a wife. Don't think that these passages are not for you because you're not married. Because when you understand these passages, the Lord, the Word of God, will help you filter out the riffraff. Because you might have a girlfriend that says, hey, let's take our relationship to the next level. And, you know, want to be sexually active before marriage. Say, no way, you know, get out of my face. Or a guy who says to the girl, you know, hey, you know what, let's take our relationship to the next level, you know, prove your love to me. No, the Word of God helps us filter out the riffraff. And if that happens, then you know, okay, this guy's riffraff, this girl's riffraff. And you say, get out of my face. And you pray and you seek the Lord. You might have to repent too, because you didn't follow the Lord. The Lord was saying, no, 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 don't do it. The Holy Spirit, all these red flags all over the place. But in your heart of hearts, you're like, but he's so cute. But she's so cute. You see, it's very interesting how like things go out the door when it comes to physical attraction. I mean, I get it. I understand. But that's what's so cool about a relationship with the Lord. Because in this uh, being a new creation, he changes your perception of beauty. The Lord changes your perception of beauty. 25 years ago, if you were to ask me 25 years ago, you know, who are the five most beautiful people? I would say, you know, these are the five. And you would say, okay, you know, you're kind of gross. You're kind of disgusting because I was carnally minded. You know, it would be what the, what the world deems as what class, how the world classifies beauty in accordance to that. But today, if you were to ask me, hey, who are the five most beautiful people? I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you'd think I was blind. You'd think I was blind. Because the Lord changes your heart. He changes your perception of what beauty is. 
when you allow the Lord to change your heart, to change your mind, you think differently. It's supernatural. I, I can't explain. I mean, I can explain it, but uh, it, it, it can't, you, you, you can't fake it with the Lord. I mean, it's, it's entirely supernatural. He just changes you. Your concept, change, your, your ideas about things just change. Your ideas about life, it just changes. It's supernatural. You start to fall in love deeper and deeper with the Word of God, with the Lord, the people in the Bible. You look forward to seeing them. You're like, wow, I can't wait to see them. You look forward to death. You look forward, and it's like what you think is beautiful is like what, the, what most people think is ugly, you think is beautiful. The Lord just changes you. And so if you're a young person, you know, don't think like, oh, I don't need to study this. I'm not getting, I'm not married. And I'm, marriage is like, you know, 10 years away, five years away. Well, no, you need to study these because the truth of the word of God, just as truth divides, truth in your heart and the Lord in your life, empowered by the Holy Spirit, you know, he helps you filter out the riffraff. You see, now if you're married to riffraff, it's just a vapor. It's just a vapor. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more. I don't mean to, you know, when I say that, it's, you know, understand, I have the most, the best of intentions, the most purest of intentions. I don't say these things to hurt. I say these things to exhort, in some cases to warn, in some cases to, uh, uh, to comfort. You say, man, that's not, you know, that's, that's not very good comfort. Sometimes the comfort is tomorrow. Sometimes the comfort is the aftermath when the truth settles down and it's like, okay, you know, I get it now. And, you know, yeah, I messed up and yeah, I'm repented of and yeah, it's just a vapor. Now let's move on to perfection. You see, you and me, let's move on to perfection. So if you're young, you're single, you know, and you're going to get married and you're thinking about marriage or you desire marriage, you have to study these passages too because you might be in a state of courtship one day and in your state of courtship, you're going to see things where, wait a second, this isn't right. This is right. This guy wants to do this sexually. This girl wants to do this sexually. And it's like, man, Lord, you know, we're going to, we got to filter out the riffraff and the Lord will help you. And so look what happens here in verse five. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer. So you see, it's not just, you know, like, oh, you know, like, no, no sex tonight because you're whatever. No sex tonight because of whatever or whenever, you know. I don't want to get too graphic in, in, in speaking this way, but it's not just, you know, it, 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 it's for fasting and for prayer. It's for your relationship with the Lord. It's like, wow, you know, instead of, you know, you know, this Instead of this sexual activity, it's like, no, let's, let's, you know, let's go on the back burner. Let's put that on the back burner. And you know what's on the front burner? The Lord. The Lord. You see? For fasting and for praying. This is for both husband and wife. So look at what we've looked at so far in these particular verses. Nothing immoral. It's like, you know, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife. And so you see, you start to see these things about the, the marriage bed, the marriage relationship, kindness and affection that is owed to the wife, kindness and affection that is due her a husband. And you see this kindness and affection, but then you also see this mutual authority over the other's body. 
carnally speaking, fleshly speaking, in accordance to the flesh. A woman doesn't a woman doesn't have authority over the husband spiritually. But in accordance to the flesh, she does. She does. And mutual agreement for no sex. You know, it's and it's not just for, you know, no sex. It's forgiving of yourself to the Lord, to fasting and to praying unto the Lord, your relationship with Him. You see? It's very, very, very important to understand these passages. If you're married, if you're single, it's very important for us to understand these passages. If you're widowed, if you're a widower, to understand these passages. And so let's look what happens here in verse... um, Still in verse 5, he says uh, uh, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. You see? You see? It's, it's wow. It, you see, Satan is such a trickster. He's such a conniver. How we can enter a married couple's lives. Through all these different aspects, all these different avenues, it's not just one door. There are multiple doors, multiple windows. You know, Satan likes to creep in. Look at all these angles of attack he can have on a marriage. It's so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So, you know what's so beautiful? You say you, you, you hear me say how the truth of the Word of God helps us filter out the riffraff. I mean, if you're single and you're looking forward to marriage, and it's how, how, how the truth it helps us in this you know, holy filter. And, you know, if, if you're a prayer warrior, say you're single, you're a prayer warrior, you love to pray, and you just, you're in the Bible and you love to pray, and then you're in courtship, and the guy doesn't like to pray, or the girl doesn't like to pray, you know, and it's like, well, that's, the Lord is showing you that this guy's not a good match, this girl's not a good match. The Lord is showing you all these red flags, all these red flags, like, boom, this guy's not a good fit for you, boom, this girl's not a good fit, boom, this girl's, but you know what happens? People get married anyway, and a lot of times it's because of sexual immorality, you know, a guy wants to have sex. A girl wants to have sex. And so they'll get married because they want to have sex. So, well, is that the only reason to get married? Well, you know, it's not the only reason. But, you know, if it means that, if, if, if it means that it's, it's that or, you know, go out with, you know, prostitute number 20, prostitute number 50, then get married. Because it's much better that than to burn in hell. I meant, I'm just the messenger. But a lot of people make mistakes. A lot of people, like, you know, they make these decisions based on the carnal mindset. The mindset that doesn't look forward to the better marriage. The mindset that doesn't remember that, wait a second, we're wise virgins. And we're virgins for a reason. Pure for a re- spiritually pure for a reason. It's for the bridegroom. Our marriage unto him. Purity unto him. For him. And the marriage is coming. That's married and non-married together. We are wait- the, 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 the waiting for the bridegroom. 
And Satan, who's very, very crafty, was a murderer from the beginning. He says, come together again. So there's that sexual deprivation, but then to come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now remember, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. You hear me mention from time to time from Galatians 5. And I'll read it again. Galatians 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such There is no law. And Paul says here, in spite of the Spirit, Paul's just the vessel. But the Word of God here says, so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. You see? So it's like, you know, sometimes people say, wait a second, you know, what does this mean? Is it better not to get married? No, get, I mean, Remember the disciples even when they're like, it sounds like it's better not to get married. And the Lord says, not everybody can accept this. But the, the Lord knows. I mean, he, he knows you. He knows me. He knows us. He knows. And I love how Paul just boils it all. Whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're a widower, male, whether you're female, he just breaks it down. Chapter 7 is a very, very chapter, powerful chapter. And then he says here in verse 6, but I say this as a concession, which is, it's a concession, but it's not just a concession like, you know, I'm giving into this. It's a concession, but it's through deeper understanding. He says, I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. And remember, this is from Paul. This is from Paul. He wasn't married, but this is from Paul who he is himself. He's a eunuch of the king, a eunuch of the king of kings and lord of lords. And he made himself a eunuch. Spiritually speaking, sometimes I say things and I wonder, do I need to specify if I'm speaking literally? Do I need to specify if I'm speaking spiritually? But here I specifically make mention that it is spiritually. He made himself a eunuch. Pastors, Bible teachers, elders, youth leaders. Spiritually speaking, make yourself a eunuch. This is the concession that Paul says, not as a command in verse seven. For I wish that all men were even as as myself. Remember, so he's not married. You see, this is Paul's heart. He says, for I wish. How many times do you see Paul say, I wish? Very rarely. But I love it when he does because it's like, wow, that's his heart. He's not saying, oh, I, you know, you want to get married? Oh, don't get married. He's not trying to be cruel and say, you know, don't get married. Don't get, don't, don't get married. No, he's just, I wish that all men were even as myself. And he says it as a concession, not as a commandment. But each one has his own gift from God. One in this manner and another in that. I love that. His own own gift here, his own private and separate gift from God. Each one. That's you and me. Each of us. We have our own gift from the Lord. One in this manner and another in that. Remember, we're one body with many parts, but we're still different parts. I mean, you open up the hood of the car. You don't see a spare tire there. I'm in the engine compartment. I mean, you might say, well, you know, it's a VW, you know. So you don't open up the engine compartment and see a spare tire there. You know, you don't open up the, 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 the glove box and see an alternator in there. No, different parts. One body, many parts. 
You see? And all these things happen. You know, it's like, well, wait a second. You know, I'm married already. So what do I do? It, it's not to say, okay, get divorced. No. Stay married. Stay married. Oh, but I'm on my third marriage. And, you know, my second marriage, I could have worked it out better. My first marriage, I could have worked. Okay. Repent of the past, the choices that you made. Repent. If it's not repented of, you need to repent. You know, and you're going to reap what you've sown. But that doesn't mean to divorce your third wife. And it's just like, okay, let, let's, 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 let's stop the bleeding right now. You know, like when you treat for shock, you know, there's a process for treating for shock. You're on the battlefield. You see your friend's got his arm blown off. There, there's certain things you have to do to, to treat the wound and treat for shock. There's like, you know, steps. Otherwise, you know, the convulsions, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be worse. The blood's going to pump out and your friend's dead. No, we got we to gotta deal with this. Just repent. Make sure that you're, 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 you're right with the Lord. And then let's move on to perfection. You see, it's not to say, okay, re-divorce or divorce that wife and go back to your first wife. You know, it doesn't work that way. The Lord knows we've made mistakes. The Lord knows. And while we were sinners, he sent his son to die for you and me. You see? And he cleans his own fish. People say, let me clean up my life. Let me get off the crack. Let me get off the pornography. Let me get off this. And then I'll get right with the Lord. No, you come to the Lord with all your filth. You come to and you believe in him. And then let him change you. And he will change you. If you let him. He cleans his own fish. I don't care. You're a stripper. You're a prostitute. You're a crackhead. You're a crack dealer. You're a sex head, pornography, all these things. You believe in Jesus Christ? Okay, come. Come. But you're not going to stay the same. When you yield to the Word of God and you yield to the Spirit of God, it's impossible to stay the same. Because He changes you. And so look what happens here. When Paul says, in verse 8, But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am, which is single, unmarried. And it's not just unmarried like, oh, I'm going to be cruel to you and say, don't get married. No, it's not that. He has the best of it. He says in verse 7, for I wish, I wish, this is my heart's desire for you. Why? I mean, we'll fast forward, but in, in, in verse 32, he who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. It's not to be cruel and say, oh, I don't want you to get married so you won't experience this, you won't have kids. You won't. It's no, nothing like that at all. With the pureness of his heart, with the best of intentions, is to say, because you can not be caring about the things of the world, you can care of the things of the Lord, how you may please the Lord. And then in verse 34, the unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. <coughs> Excuse me. See, it's, so when Paul says these things, it's not like, oh, I don't want you to get married. I don't want to get you married. So I, I, I want you to get married so, you know, you can be miserable. No, it's so we can please the Lord. It's all for the Lord. The husband that we have that is coming to receive his bride. Because to be a forward-looking people, we have to understand these things. 
in our glorified bodies, there's not going to, just like we read, there's not going to be, you know, dad angel, mom, you know, husband angel, wife angel, and little baby angels. No, that's, that's this age. That's in accordance to this age. Husband, wife, and kids. That's this age. But the age to come, the one that we look forward to, the one that we are predestined to. Remember our study in Romans 7 through 11? If you don't know what I'm talking about, listen to our studies through Romans 7 through 11. Romans 8, Romans 9. Understand predestination. But because we are a forward-looking people, we have to understand these things. No, it's not, you know, oh, you know, stay single so that you can go to the bars, you can go to the clubs, you know, and you're not cheating on anybody. No, you stay pure to Jesus Christ. You're cheating on Jesus Christ. I mean, what guy, what what guy would say, you know, will you marry me? And then the, the girl says yes. And then, you know, the, the husband says, okay, let's get married, you know, next year. Or let's get, you know, that, I don't know, it's very worldly. I say just handle business, you know. Let's get married next month, you know. Let's get married in two weeks. So you get married. And then what guy in that time period before they get married goes bar hopping, goes to the clubs, dances with all these girls, go to the strip club. No, that's an unfaithful husband-to-be. And what woman would want that? It's disgusting. It's filthy. You know, oh, I'm betrothed to this guy. We're going to get married. You look on his social media and he's, you know, all with all these girls. What woman would want that? And the same thing, a guy says, will you marry me? The wife said, the, the girl says, yes. And then, you know, the guy, the, the girl's out going to the bar hopping, doing all these things with these other guys. What guy would want that? So it's not, you know, oh yeah, let's not get married. Let's be single so that, you know, we can go to the bars. We can go clubbing. We can go, you know, the strip clubs, do all these things, get high, do this. No, I'll say this. Does the bridegroom that is coming, does he want that? I mean, if you're a wise virgin, if you're a virgin, spiritually speaking, would the bridegroom want that? I'm just throwing it out there. Would he? And so how is it that we permit these things to happen for our own lives? Oh, I was predestined for this to happen. I was predestined for this. Well, listen to our study through Romans 7, 8. 9, 10, and 11. Listen and understand what predestination is. Paul's not saying, hey, I want you guys to be single, to be mean, to be cruel, to give license for, you know, going bar hopping, going to the strip clubs, you know, being with girlfriend number five, you know, boyfriend number 10, girlfriend number 12. No, no, it's to please the Lord, Jesus Christ. You see? And so we see here in verse 8, But I say to the unmarried and the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. Which is When he says it's good, it's better, it's virtuous, and it's beautiful, he says. And we can read these passages, and in your heart of hearts, in your mind, you're like, wait a second, I still don't get it. This is very difficult to understand. I don't get it. Understand that there is more to life. And when I say that there's more to life, I'm not talking about life on this side. I'm talking about the life to come. Eternity. 
paradise. Oneness with Christ. There's more. Satan is the one who doesn't want us to see this. Satan is the one who doesn't want us to understand these things. It's Satan. He's the one that destroys marriages, destroys homes, destroys children's lives, destroys churches and fellowships. He's the one. It's all him. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's the one. He doesn't want us to think eternally. Because once we start thinking eternally, then we start to understand, wait a second, I get what Paul is saying in spite of this. I get what the Lord is saying through Paul. Paul's just a vessel. I get what the Lord is teaching here. It's not to be single for the sake of, you know, I can be single. I'm, I don't have a, a, a marital accountability. I can go to the bars. I can go to the strip clubs. I can do this. No, 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 no. It's to please the Lord. To please Him. To stay pure to Him. The bridegroom that is coming. And still of these unmarried and the widows. In verse 9 he says, But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. You see? Self-control. No. You have to be honest with yourself. I mean, so many times, Oh, I'm not a sex head. I don't like sex. I'm, I'm holy. No. You're a sex head. You know, if that's you, get married. Get married, you know, it's, you have to be honest with yourself. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And remember, what does this passion lead to? What does this passion lead to? Guys have problems with pornography. I've talked to a, a, a child molester. And it started with pornography. He says pornography, it just needed to get more. It was like a drug. It needed to get more and more and more. It was like the, the better fix. And because it's satanically induced, it leads to deeper and deeper and deeper wickedness. We have to be wise. You see? Does that mean that, you know, that, that marriage is just for sex? No, you learn, you're, you're going to learn in marriage. Sometimes people get married and then like after two years, after five years, they start to regret it. And they realize, oh man, I made a mistake. Well, there's a lot to learn still in marriage. And you know, if your husband, you pray for your wife, your wife, you pray for your husband. It's not to say, oh, we have irreconcilable differences, so we're just going to cut it off. We're going we're gonna to divorce. No, I have a million irreconcilable differences with my bride. A million, probably two million. Two million irreconcilable differences. But the ways of the world, the ways of the world, that's the world, that's Corinth. We are a set-apart people. And these things that I think about with marriage, you know, I don't, I don't like... I don't like speaking about it. I don't, I'll teach it when the Bible has us here, but I'm not, you know, it's not that I want to hurt anybody's feelings. Sometimes married people are like, wow, you know, that's kind of hurtful, you know, or single people, wow, that's kind of hurtful. But understand, it's to serve the Lord. You know, it's not to say don't get married because, you know, you know, you want to get married. It's not to say don't get married so that you, you're going to be single for that and miserable for the rest of your life. No, if you can't exercise self-control, get married. You know, you want a wife, you want kids, you want a husband, you want kids. Get married. 
You know, if you can't exercise self-control, get married. But still understand, there's still a better marriage that's coming. And I think sometimes single people get painted in like with a bad brush. Because, you know, you might be like 35 years old, 45 years old, 50 years old, never married. Never married. And the church, Christians, they're like, what's wrong with you? But I tell you the truth, there is no such beautiful heart than such a person. Because such a person says, you know what, I'm married to Jesus Christ. Because it's like, whoa. That's beautiful. And that might be you. You might be listening. It's like a church black sheep. Like, man, you know, everybody's getting married and here I am single. And you don't feel bad because you're single. You feel bad because people don't understand. You want to serve the Lord. Just as Paul says here in verse 8, But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. And you read that maybe long ago. And you're like, you know what? I'm waiting for my husband who's coming for me. I'm going to wait and I'm going to be pure for my husband who's coming for me. My friends want to go do the ladies night. My friends want to go bar hopping. They want to do this. I'm going to say no way. And Lord, I'm going to be in your word. I'm going to study your word. And you know what? All these people are getting married and that's fine for them. That's fine. They're going to have babies and raise their... That's fine. But no, Lord, I'm for you. That's beautiful. You won't hear that a lot in the church. And that's partly the reason why I don't like talking about it, you know, especially with married people. You know, even single people, because a lot of single people look forward to marriage. And it's not like I hate marriage. I'm in love with I'm in love with the Lord. I'm in love with my wife, man. I love marriage, but the marriage to come, oh my goodness, it's you can't even make the comparison. You can't make the comparison. Remember the disciples? It sounds like it's better not to get married. What does Jesus say? Not everybody can accept that. So if you're single, not you're like the few because not every everybody can accept that. And Paul says if they can't exercise self-control, let them marry. He's not trying to restrict marriage. He's just trying to point to a better marriage. Let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Remember, in, in our glorified bodies, there's no marriage. And in our glorified bodies, that's where we're headed to paradise. But then so in verse 8, he says to the unmarried and to the widows. And in verse 10, he says this. Now to the married people, he says. Now to the married. I command, yet not I, but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband. You see? Irreconcilable differences, no excuse. A wife is not to depart from her husband. Wow. Divorce is a big problem in the church today. In Matthew 5, let's turn to Matthew 5 really quick. Matthew 5, verse 32. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her, to commit, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. You see, so, you know, 
people get divorced and then they go to wife number two, wife number three, husband number two, husband number three. No way. That's adultery. It's sin. And if that's, that's why I say you need to repent. And the church today is a mess. The church today is entering judgment because judgment comes first in the house of God. And if that's you, you need to repent so that you can have this covering of the Lord. Your sin is forgotten. It's not to be prideful and say, oh, I don't need to repent. How dare you say this to me? But no, the divorce is very rampant in the church today. Very, very rampant. Just identical to the world. And if that's you, if you're in divorce, if you are divorced, it's not to say, oh, you know, look how evil you are. Get out of here. No, it's to say, repent. Get your heart right with the Lord. Keep your heart soft before the Lord. You know, and don't go on to husband number two, three, four, girlfriend and boyfriend, you know, uh, girlfriend number two, three, four, wife number two, three, four, husband number two, three, four. No. Look forward to the better marriage that's coming. The husband that will never, never hurt you. The husband that will never cheat on you. The husband that never lies to you. The husband that will always give you comfort. The husband that you abide in. Look forward to that marriage. Unto him. A wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried, you see. Or be reconciled to her husband. So those are the only two options. Biblically, those are the only two options. You see, it doesn't mean, okay, you know, even if she does depart, now you can go to the bars. Now you can be single and start to mingle, you know, no way. It doesn't work that way. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. It's the same for the husband. Exact same for the husband. When Paul says, you know, I want you to be like me, he doesn't give it as a command. It's as a concession. He says, you know, it, it, it's, it's good if you remain as I am, which is single. It's not singleness so you can go bar hopping. It's to please the Lord. And even if she does depart, he says in verse 11, or even if he does depart, it's not to divorce. Uh, let, let her remain unmarried. Let him remain unmarried. Or be reconciled to her husband. Two options. That's it. Reconciliation or remain unmarried. I mean, you hear people, oh, yeah, this pastor's on his third marriage. This Bible teacher's on his fifth marriage. And there are Bible teachers, so called pastors who are on their fifth marriage. It's like, wow, that's a lot of debt. So you've been five marriages and your four previous wives are now dead? No, 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 no. They're still alive. They're on their own marriages too, they're on their new marriages as well. It's like, wait a second here. That you're a pastor, and you're on your fifth marriage. That's I, mean, I know that that's in the world, but the world is the world. But in the church, you're a pastor, and you're on your fifth marriage, and your previous wives aren't dead. Something's wrong there, pastor. Something's wrong there, hireling. You see, if this is you, pastor or no pastor. If this is you and you have departed from your husband, you have departed from your wife, you need to repent. 
You know, there's these only two options to remain unmarried or be reconciled. And if you're dating, you're playing the singles game, you need to repent and cut it out. Biblically speaking, you have two options. This life is just a vapor. It's just a vapor. These are your only two options. I love you. I don't want to hurt you. But these are your only two options. And there might be somebody listening who's just destroyed in hearing these words. Because you've made bad choices. You've made bad decisions. And you know it. And the Lord knows it. And I don't say it to scare you. It's, it's a frightening aspect of it. But there's a better husband. If you're a woman, you, you hear me say there's a better husband and you know there's a better husband. It's Jesus Christ. If you're a man and I say there's a better husband, you're like, whoa, it's kind of a better husband. Well, I'm a dude, you know. What are you talking about, a better husband? No. In Christ, there's no male, female. Slave, free, Jew, Gentile. That's in Christ. That's carnally thinking. That's thinking of the world. These are your only two options. So what does that say? What does that mean? If biblically speaking, if you have departed from your husband, departed from your wife, and you have these only two options to be reconciled or to remain unmarried, those are your only two options. And if you have, you're on option number five, ten, you've created some kind of situation, now the ball's in your court. You know what the Bible says. You know what your life looks like. The ball's in your court, my friend. You need to repent. You need to repent and get back with Jesus Christ. Make sure your heart is right with Jesus Christ. Make sure that your heart is moldable. Because Satan is the one who will trick you and say, look, this is better. Look, option number 10 is better. Option number 11 is better. And the whole time, unbeknownst to you, your heart is getting harder and harder and harder and harder. And Satan wants to trap you. That's the deceitfulness of sin. That's departing from the living God. That's what Hebrews 3 says. I say unbeknownst to you, but it shouldn't be unbeknownst to you. It's a trick. Satan wants you on option number four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, because the whole time he's leading you astray, knowing he knows that your heart is getting harder and harder. And because of the pride of life, it's more difficult for you to repent. What do I say? Repent right here, right now. If this is you, repent. Get your heart right with the Lord. You abide in Christ. And you with me. We. You and me together. We look forward to our coming husband. We look forward to the marriage that is coming. Let's look at verse 12. But to the rest. So verse 8. To the unmarried and to the widows. To verse 10. To the married and verse 12, to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, If any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, 
let him not divorce her. You know what I love about this verse? I mean, he's writing this letter, okay? He is, but to the rest, I, not the Lord, say. I mean, he's right, not the Lord. And he's so, his heart is so enveloped by that of our Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ says, Paul, you know, you're saying this, that's not the Lord, but you know what? This is canon. This is scripture. This is my heart. I love that so much. So Paul says, but to the rest, I, not the Lord, say. And the Lord is saying, look, that's in my word. The word became flesh. That's, that's how close your heart is to my heart, Paul. Not to deify Paul, but just so that you and me can see how close our heart can be with the Lord. And his exhortation to the church is in Holy Scripture. If any brother, he says, has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. So this isn't like, you know, license to just live with somebody, you know. It's not like, you know, it's it's for married people. You know, it's like, say, for example, you have a, a, a married couple and then the wife becomes a believer, which is most common. It's most common for the wife to become the believer. I mean... I can get into reasons why, but, you know, we'll stick to this study and in future passages, we'll look to reasons why. But a lot of it has to do with sensitivities, uh, uh, female sensitivities. Um, a couple, married couple. Say the wife becomes a believer and the husband gets mad like, oh, you know, we're, we're not going to go see these rated R movies anymore. We're not going to go, you know, dancing on Friday night, Saturday night. And you, know, you don't want to stay up late on Saturday night because you got church on Sunday morning. What is happening here? And then the, the, the husband says, you know what? I can't stand this. You know, I, I, I want to get a divorce. You know, it, it happened in Corinth. It happens today. But if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she's willing to live with him, let him, let him not divorce her. So... Husband, like in verse 13, and, and a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. It's a two-way road. You see, it's, it's not like, okay, you know, like uh, you, 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 you have a, a married couple, like a husband and wife. The wife believes and the husband doesn't like it. You know, it, it, it's, if, if he is willing to live with her, okay, it's fine. don't get a divorce. The, 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 the unbelieving husband is willing to live with the believing wife and vice versa. The unbelieving wife is willing to live with the believing husband, a Christian husband. It's going to be rough. It's going to be difficult. Having an unbelieving spouse is very, very difficult. You see, it's very difficult for the believer because your heart is going to be breaking almost daily because you know that the one that you love, you're... you're your husband or your wife who doesn't believe that without Jesus Christ, you know that they're going to burn in hell. You know it. And it's going to break your heart. Until that person becomes a believer, it's going to break your heart. It's very, very difficult. You see, now if you're single, you're hearing these words and you're following along in Scripture and you're hearing these words, you have to know this beforehand. 
You know, a lot of times people say, oh, yeah, I want to marry this girl because, look, she's so pretty. Or, look, I want to marry this guy. Look, he's so cute. And I've talked to people before where a guy says, you know, oh, I got this new girlfriend, you know. And it's like, well, wait, wait, is she a Christian? No, she's she's a Catholic, you know. And it's like, wait a second, we talked about this before. Your last girlfriend was a Catholic. You know, look how that ended up. And now you're in, and he you know, shows me his phone. But look at her. What? You know how stupid it'd be for me? Oh, yeah, you're right. Go ahead. You know, get married to a Catholic. What do you expect me to say? No, the Word of God is what we stand on. The truth of God's Holy Word. He is our firm foundation. We stand on Him. He doesn't tell us not to be unequally yoked because He hates us. Because He knows what it leads to. He knows exactly what it means. division in the home. I mean, he divides, that's for sure. But his division is just. His division is righteous. But division in the home, so say you marry a Catholic. You're a born-again believer, and you know, you marry a Catholic. Oh, but Catholicism is Christianity. Biblically speaking, it isn't. I don't care what the world says. Biblically speaking, Roman Catholicism is not Christianity. It no, it's night and day. Night and day. So you marry a Catholic. You get married, you have babies. What are you going to do? You teach your, your child to, to worship Mary? Knowing what the Bible says? You're going to teach your child about Mass, about purgatory? You're going to teach your child about salvation outside of Christ through Abraham? You see? And you know this beforehand. If you're single, you know this beforehand. So if you're dating a Catholic, you know, cut it out. If you're dating a Mormon, J-Dub, cut it out. Because you know this beforehand. Oh, but I'm just dating because I, I, I just like to date. What, you have no intention of getting married? No, 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 I'm, I'm just playing her. I'm just playing him. You need to cut that out. That's even more sinister. Repent. Repent, 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 repent. Genesis to Revelation. That's one of the themes of the Word of God. Repent, repent, repent. You know why? Because we get ourselves into all kinds of different trouble. You see? It's very common for in a married married couple, for non-believers, you get, you're in the world and you know you get married and everything's worldly and then all of a sudden you're like 10 years in marriage and you're worldly and then the wife believes or the husband believes. And man, that's just going to cause chaos in the home because you're now a believer. And you have an unbelieving wife or an unbelieving husband. That's not a license to, to get divorced. If he is willing to live with you, if, you're, if, if she is willing to live with you, stay married. Stay married. It's going to be difficult because you know that your spouse, who's not a believer, is going to burn in hell without Jesus Christ when he dies, when she dies. You know that. You see? And it's going to break your heart. Your heart is going to be broken. Praying. I mean, until he believes, until she believes. In verse 14, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. Very interesting what we see here. So you hear me say that your heart is going to be breaking for a long time until he believes, until she believes. But then in verse 14, the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, purified by the wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband, purified by the husband. Very interesting what we see here. 
It is new wine in new wineskins that can soften the hardest of hearts. The hardest of hearts can be softened. Not new wine in old wineskins. Only new wine in new wineskins can soften the hardest of hearts. And I tell you this from experience. Because what we see here in verse 14, the unbelieving husband is sanctified and purified by the wife. That was me. And that was my wife who sanctified me and purified me. She had no business dating me. No business whatsoever. She was backslidden. I was a heathen, a hardcore heathen. And she was backslidden. She had no business dating me. And we got married and she repented because she realized she made a big mistake because she married a monster. Just so you know, I almost murdered her and the Lord stopped me. I almost murdered her. And then, you know, I knew the cops would come and I knew that I could easily kill one cop. I knew the other one would probably shoot me. We live in Southern California. All, the cops are always together. No single cops. The first cop, easily kill. The second cop, I knew he'd shoot me. He'd have to shoot me. And I was ready for that. And the Lord stopped me in the act of murder. He stopped me. My heart was very wicked. And that was the guy who my wife married. You see? In verse 14, you know, you hear me say these things. If, if you're like in a mismatched marriage where you're the believer and your husband is not the believer or you're the believer and your wife is not the believer. And you hear me say these things and you're just kind of like rolling your eyes like, just wishful thinking, you know, whatever. No, I tell you from experience. The unbelieving husband, that was me, is sanctified, purified by the wife. That was my wife. You see? And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. You see? So when I say that new wine in new wineskins can stop soften the hardest of hearts, I tell you that from experience. You reckon the old man dead. You reckon the old woman dead. And you become a new wineskin. And this new wine that flows from the Lord pours into you. And your husband might not be a believer. Your wife might not be a believer. But you know what? It's flowing on that. The hardest of stone, the hardest of rock, and all those hard edges are getting softer and softer and softer. You know why? You look at the river rocks. Go on a hike. Go to the creek bed. Reach your hand in the creek bed and a river bed and pull out a rock. You're not going to find a, you know, a sharp edge, you know, if that somebody threw a rock in there. But if it's been there for like decades, you're not going to find a sharp edge stone. You're going to find all the river rocks, which are softly, they're rounded, no sharp edges. And that's what you can do to your unbelieving husband. That's what you can do to your unbelieving wife. You soften that hardness. And the Lord breaks that person. In the course of time, he can break that person if you reckon your old man dead, if you reckon your old woman dead so that you can be new wineskin, so that you can your vessel can hold the new wine. I mean, you're a believer and you're also a crackhead. No, you're not going to be new wineskin. So that's not going to happen. The, the hardness, it's going to stay hard. 
the sharp edges, it's going to stay sharp. Why? Because the new wine doesn't flow through you. It might for a little bit. It might it, your, your wine skin might contain a little bit of new wine, but then it grows holes because you're an old wine skin. You're a believer and you do your pornography. No, that's old wine skin. You're a believer and you do your crack, you do your alcohol, you do your whatever. That's old wineskin. You haven't reckoned the old man dead. You haven't reckoned the old woman dead. You're a believer and you lay aside all those things which so easily ensnare you. And you let that wine flow in you and you let that wine flow through you. Now you're a new wineskin. You've reckoned the old man, old woman dead. And your mission field can be right in your home to your unbelieving spouse. And I tell you from experience, the Lord broke me. The Lord softened me and he broke me. The first several years of my marriage were very, very difficult. Very, very violent and full of rage. I'm driving my car down the road, you know, and a couple guys would like, you know, yell profanities and stuff. I didn't just roll my eyes and be like, whatever, and keep driving. I stopped my car, traffic, I don't care. I turned right around. I didn't care. Pull up right next to them, get out of my car, pull out my axe handle. You know, what did you say? Let's settle this right now. I really, I didn't care. Pull out my big old stick. I mean, some of these guys were, you know, they were big guys. I didn't care. Let's settle this right now, guys. And they thought I was crazy, and I was crazy. I really didn't care. And then I go home and be with my wife, my believing wife. I was a monster, alcoholic. She sanctified me. She was backslidden. She repented. We got married. She repented in marriage. She knew she made a mistake. And the Lord broke me. You see? Her murderer and the Lord intervened. You know, a lot a lot of marriages are a mess today. A mess, a to- complete and total mess. I get it, I get it. But understand that there's a better marriage that's coming. A better husband is coming. We're gonna be in our glorified bodies. And it just blows me away so much because look what happens here. When we read these passages, like in verse 14, the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children will be unclean. Translates as impure, which impure and demonic. Your children will be unclean, but now they are holy. So a lot of times you see like a marriage, you have an unbelieving husband and then, you know, be, oh, I have irreconcilable differences. Let's get a divorce. No, understand. That's why you hear me. You, like, you know, when, when a husband goes off into crazy town, you're married and, you know, you submit to your husband. You know, if you're a wife, you submit to your husband who's also in submission to Jesus Christ. But then if your husband goes off into crazy town, does his all kinds of crazy business, does his grave soaking, is led to, you know, a, a led astray, and becomes apostate, that's not, that's not, you know, license for divorce. You hold on to Jesus Christ for dear life. 
And then you also hold on to your husband for his dear life. It's sacrificial. Wife, it's sacrificial. My sister, it is sacrificial. You hold on with one hand to Jesus Christ for dear life. You hold on to your husband for his dear life. And in so doing, you are the covering for your children. And they remain clean. They remain pure. Same thing for husbands too. Your wife goes off into crazy town. It's not licensed for you to go out and, you know, I'm going to get divorced and be single and start dating again. No. You hold on to Jesus Christ for dear life and you hold on to your wife for her dear life and you're covering for your children. Now, if you are that crazy town husband, you know, and your wife submit to me, I'm going to go do my grave soaking. Wife, you come with me because you shall submit to me. The Bible says you submit to me. No, you need to repent. And get back where you need to be under Jesus Christ. You need to repent. You want to be dirty minded? Watch your pornography and say, Wife, you submit to me and you perform like this lady I saw on the computer. No, you need to repent. And wife, you need to take that computer and smash it on the street. You need to take his phone and smash it with a hammer. A lot of husbands do stupid things because they're little babies. Little babies with their little umbilical cords still attached to mommy. They got to cut that. The wife can't cut it for the husband. The husband has to cut that. Right at the belly button. Don't cut it at the, you know, at the, the mom's end. Because a lot of husbands are little boys. They like to cut it. Okay, look, I'm an adult now. I'm an adult now. They got this big old umbilical cord and they attach it to their wife. Little babies. Now, wife, submit to me. I'm going to be a little baby and do my pornography. So wife, submit to me and, you know, you perform like this lady does. Because the Bible says you have to submit to me. No, don't play that game, old man. You need to repent. And you submit to Jesus Christ. And when you submit to Jesus Christ, I guarantee you won't have to tell your wife to submit. You won't have to say it at all. The Lord will tell her. You see? Wife, your husband goes off into crazy town, you submit to Jesus Christ. And in so doing, your children, you save your children. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, the Bible says. Impure and demonic. But now they are holy. That's what happens. Have you ever talked to children in broken homes? It's, it breaks my heart. A little five-year-old does has no idea what's going on, but then the 10-year-old knows, kind of has an idea. But then the 15-year-old, you know, they know what's happening. Broken homes. It's a mess. It's a mess. Satan is laughing the whole time. Laughing the whole time. You see? Because he's a murderer. He was a murderer from the beginning. And he wants to pull people as far away as he can from the Lord, knowing the whole time their heart is getting harder. Now, I'm going to read that because I've said that already. And I'm going to read that in Hebrews chapter 3. Verse 12, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That's what Satan does. He entices, he seduces, he lures through the deceitfulness of sin and he gets you to step further and further and further and further away from the Lord and the whole time 
because truth isn't held on to, the whole time you're being seduced away from the Lord and your heart is getting harder. And just as verse 12 says, an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. That's how Satan works. He wants to lure you away, seduce you away. You can't let him. You have to fight. You have to fight. You know, just like Egypt, how the Lord fought against the Egyptians, but then in the course of time, he tells Israel, okay, here's Canaan. And these Canaanites, they're big guys. You got to fight them. Don't be afraid of them. What happened to Israel? They were afraid. We have to learn from that. Yes, the Lord fights our battles. Yes, the Lord fights for us. The battle belongs to Him in some cases. In other cases, the battle belongs to you and to me. It's still the Lord. It's just through you and through me, through us. Look at the book of Acts. The battle was the Lord's through Peter, through Philip, through Paul, through Stephen, you see, the prophetess daughters of Philip. All these beautiful people. Fighters, warriors. And so, look what happens here in verse uh, 15. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. You see, a brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. So that unbelieving, so you're married. Your husband and wife are non-believers. The wife becomes a believer. The husband just doesn't like it. A wife, you know, you don't do this sexually anymore. You don't watch this pornography with me anymore. We don't go to the clubs anymore. We don't do this. We don't do crack anymore. I'm out of here. I'm getting divorced. It's, verse 15, if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. So the wife that remains maybe stays home with, you know, the husband leaves and you know, the wife is like, okay, you know, that am I in sin now? Am I in sin? Am I sinning because I'm divorced? No, in those cases, it's the husband's going to do his thing. But this is not to say, okay, you're free to get married again. Go on to husband number two, three, four, five. No, on to the capital H husband. Jesus Christ. Our husband. You see? The better marriage that awaits us. The unbeliever departs. Let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. But, the, but God has called us to peace. Which translates as peace and rest and quiet. Look at the chaos in homes. And the chaos in hearts. A husband goes off and does crazy thing you know a wife becomes a husband and wife unbelievers the wife becomes a believer the husband doesn't like it the husband says okay wife you don't do this sexual stuff anymore you don't go to the bar with me anymore you don't drink anymore you don't do crack with me you don't do lines with me you don't do all these different things with me so i'm out of here and the wife it's like a basket case and i get it i completely get it and I, if this is you i don't mean it to hurt your feelings i don't say it to hurt your feelings but the wife is like a basket case. Goes to the therapist, goes to the psychologist, gets these drugs, the antidepressants, and you know, all of a sudden is like a basket case, but a zombie basket case. Because you got your drug cocktail. Starts drinking alcohol. Numb the pain. 
instead of seeking the Lord, instead of being on your face before the Lord. You see, these are deep subject matter. And I know it hurts. I know my words are painful. I know it hurts, especially if you are divorced, especially if that is you and your husband left, went off to crazy town and you are divorced. And maybe you come to church and you're shunned in the church, but the Lord knows. You see, it's it's a battle. Everybody says, oh yeah, Christianity, it's a battle. You believe in Jesus Christ, it's a battle. It's like a war. Everybody says that. But have you ever seen a battlefield? Have you ever read intelligence reports of what a battlefield is going to look like and then you have to go in that environment? Oh, it's a battlefield. It's a war zone. And, you know, well, in battlefields, people die. In battlefields, people have their arms blown off, their legs blown off, big hole in their torso. That's what happens. So when you picture Christianity, your walk with Jesus Christ as a battlefield, as a war zone, casualties happen. And I, I don't want to gloss over it like it's no big deal. It's a huge deal. But you can't expect the fight. You can't expect your armor not to have dents in it. You can't expect your shield not to have little dings in it. You can't expect not to use your sword. We, we have to fight. Just like the Lord did with Egypt. But then they get to Canaan. And the Lord says, okay, go. You're going to fight these big guys, the Canaanites. They're huge. They're giants. And then they were afraid. And look what happened. Their 11 days turned into 40 years because of unbelief. They were afraid, which was, you know, unbelief, which was instigated by fear, which we studied. And since we've studied, now you're equipped to understand for your own battles. For your own fight. And so, in verse 16, For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband, whether you will save your husband? Now, if you're a Reformed theory person or Calvinist, you know, people always say in the Calvinist camp, they say, oh, you see, we don't save, God does. Okay, I get what you're saying, and I understand why you're saying that. But using who? Using who? How do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Remember what I was saying about the river rocks? Understand that they can break. They can break. And I tell you this from experience. I'm not just telling you this like wishful thinking. Like, oh yeah, the Bible says this. So you believe, you believe in this and you know, I have my my life and you know, you just believe this and yeah, you're you're in war, you're in hell and you know, you take your antidepressants and don't worry about it. No, I tell you from experience. In verse 14, the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. For me personally, not only the unbelieving husband, but the abuser of my wife 
the accuser of my wife and the attempted murderer of my wife. And I was sanctified by her. I was purified by her. And her own war, her battle was under her own roof. And just as verse 16 says, how do you know a wife whether you will save your husband? And look at what she did for me. Look at what my bride did for me. And here we are. Here we are. You and me. We're studying the Bible. We open up the Word of God and we study the Bible together. I'm not telling you these things just with empty words. I tell you from experience. Your marriage is like falling apart. You keep your eyes on the Lord. You keep your eyes on the Lord and you can walk on water. You have to believe in Him. You have to trust in Him. You can't be old wineskin. You have to be new wineskin. And then He goes to work. Yes, it's going to be hell. It's going to be war. It's going to be battle. And when I say hell, I don't mean the hell hell. I mean like it's going to be like terrible. You're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days and a lot of bad days. How do you know a wife whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know a husband whether you will save your wife? You see? In verse 17, but as God distributed to each one, as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. So let him walk. And a lot of times, you know, we read passages like this and sometimes people ask me, well, am I called? How do I know I'm called? Well, have you answered? I mean, picture you and me talking in a, in a cafe somewhere. Having, I have my cup of coffee. You have your cup of coffee. My phone's on the table. Your phone's on the tabletop. And we're having a nice discussion. And all of a sudden, your phone just starts ringing. And you're asking me the question, am I called? Am I called? And I'm like looking at the phone. Am I called? Am I called? Uh, hello, pick up the phone. The phone is ringing right here. Am I called? Am I called? Look, pick up the phone. Do you not hear? Yes. Pick up the phone. The Lord loves you. He desires oneness with you. He desires intimacy with you. He desires. You know who doesn't desire it? Satan. He doesn't desire you to have intimacy with Jesus Christ. You don't let him. Don't let him get what he wants. And belief is how it all begins. You believe in Jesus Christ. And you believe in Jesus Christ and then you obey Jesus Christ. And then you learn, you grow, you matriculate. No more babies. I mean like, you know, baby life, baby living, you know. Just like what was happening in Corinth. And Paul says, I have to talk to you guys like you're babies again. Like milk, uh, milk drinkers. No spiritual pork chops. And so he says, But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain, so I direct and command in all the churches. Remember, order. Order, no chaos. There might be chaos on the outside. There might be chaos in Corinth. But it shouldn't be that way in the church. There might be chaos in a home. 
But it doesn't have to be that way in your heart. You see? Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Now, this word for uncircumcision, it's not the traditional word for uncircumcision. It's like a medical term. It's not the general term for uncircumcision. It's like a medical procedure to regrow the foreskin, which is common in those days. And it's still common. Like a medical procedure to... To, 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 to induce growth of the foreskin. And Paul is saying, let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Now, this isn't the procedure, the medical procedure. This is the general word for uncircumcision. Let him not be circumcised. So, no procedures. No procedures. Because remember, it's spiritual. Circumcision is spiritual. Remember, in Romans 2, we studied it already. Circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing but... Keeping the commandments of God is what matters. It's obedience to the word of God. Obedience. It's not about circumcision or uncircumcision. It's all about obedience. Just like Jesus Christ says, if you love me, follow me. Those are his words. If you love me, obey my commandments. That's what he says. In verse 20, let each one remain in the same calling in which it was called. Were you called while a slave or a servant? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. So like servants, so, uh, say there's a servant in a Jewish home. Well, in a Jewish home, there's provisions in the law for freedom. Not a believer. Jewish home, but not a believer in Jesus Christ. In a servant's home or in a Jewish home, there's provisions in the law for a servant to be made free. Like the Jubilee, what we studied already in Leviticus. But what if it's a Christian? is now a servant in the home of a Greek person, a Greek home, or a Roman home. You see, and Paul is saying here, don't be concerned about it. You're a slave, you're a servant in that home, don't be concerned about it. It's okay. But wait, I'm a slave, I'm a servant in that home. Listen, he says in verse 22, For he who is called in the Lord while a slave or while a servant is the Lord's freedman. Now, I'm a huge, huge, huge proponent of freedom. I love freedom, but I teach from America and our freedoms are getting less and less and less and less. You might live in a country where you have absolutely no freedom. I'm in America where, you know, land of the free and home of the brave, they say. You might have an idea that you're free, but if you're addicted to drugs, if you're addicted to pornography, if you're addicted to alcohol, if you're addicted to fill in the blank, are you really free? No, you're a slave to bondage. You're a slave to sin. Just like in Egypt, it, in Egypt, Israel became free. The Lord freed them. But there's a different set of chains. They have to learn what obedience is unto the Lord. Just like freedom in Christ. We have to learn you know, not as a licensure to sin, but we have to learn obedience to Christ. That's why, you know, for the longest time as a Christian, I became born again. For the longest time, I thought I was freed from Satan. Like, I mean, I was freed from Satan, but I thought the Lord cut the chains at my wrists. I thought the chains were broken at my wrists, and I thought the chains were broken at my ankles. I was formerly shackled to Satan, a servant and a slave of Satan. And then I believed, 
And I thought for the longest time that the Lord freed me at my ankles and at my wrists. That's what I thought. And then as I grew, as I grew in Christ and the Lord showed me, the Lord, you know, taught me. And you hear me mention my pastor in California, but you know, there are other people that the Lord used to pour into me. My wife. Oh my goodness. Just like we see in verse 14, the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. How, in verse 16, how do you know a wife whether you will save your husband? That's my wife. That's what she did to me. She purified me and she sanctified me. And then she saved me. The Lord used her as a vessel for me, her own husband, her own attempted murderer. And so, like, I grew in Christ. And for the longest time, I thought, like, you know, my shackles were broken. At my, or the shackles of Satan were broken at my wrist and at my ankles. And I started to grow more and more and more. And then I realized, wait a second. What are these chains? What are these chains I see on my wrists? What are these chains I see on my ankles? And then I realized, wait a second. The Lord didn't break the chains at my wrist and my ankles. He broke them on Satan's end. And this whole time I was free, but I was still dragging these chains. I was free. He broke the chains. And then I picked up the chains and gave them to the Lord and said, Here, Lord, they're yours. A slave of Christ. You have to understand these things. You might be like, Oh, I'm free. I'm free. And you know, I, I live in the U.S. We're free. We're free. A slave to sin, bondage, alcohol, sex, drugs. That's not freedom. That's bondage. And so Paul is saying to the church in Corinth, like, oh man, you know, I'm a Christian. I can't, I'm a slave in this, in this Roman home. I'm a slave in this Greek home. I'm a slave here. I'm a slave there. What do I do? What do I do? Do I escape? Do I, you know, at midnight, do I make a run for it? Or do I escape? Paul's saying, don't be concerned about it. If you can be made free, rather use it. If you can be made free, it's okay. But in verse 22, for he who is called in the Lord while a slave, while a servant is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. I love this so much. I love this so much because it's like, wow, you know, you're a slave, you're free in Christ. You're free, you're a slave in Christ. You see, everything is in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. For you and for me, abide in Christ. And he says, and I in you. In verse 23, you were bought at a price. To, to do not become slaves of men. Do not become servants of men. Remember, we are servants of Christ. Being a servant of Christ is better. Because his ways are not our ways. He has your best interest, which is eternity with Him. You see? Brethren, in verse 24, let each one remain with God in that state in which He was called. So if you are a servant or you are free, if you are a servant, you are Christ's free man. If you are free, you are Christ's servant. Remain in that state. In verse 25, now concerning virgins. So, Verse 8 was the unmarried and to the widows. Verse 10 was to the married. Verse 12 was to the rest. And now we get to the virgins, the unmarried people. Now, if you're unmarried and you're not a virgin, 
You need to repent. You need to repent to make sure your heart is right with the Lord and to keep your heart soft in the hands of the Lord. Not that your heart be uh, get hard through the deceitfulness, uh, deceitfulness of sin. That your heart can stay nice and soft in His hands. Because we are the clay. He is the potter. So concerning virgins, he says, I have no command from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. This is, Paul's not lording over anybody. He's helping Christians. He's helping the church. He's helping each individual Christian in their walks with the Lord. He's saying, no commandment from the Lord, but I give this judgment, you know, the, the, the Lord whom he has made trustworthy. I have the, the, your best interest, Corinth. That's what he's saying to the church, which was a very carnal church. Very, very carnal church. A lot of sex in the church. A lot of sex was happening in the church. Look at the church of these last days. A lot of sex, a lot of drugs, a lot of alcohol, a lot. Which says a lot about their, their state. Yes, carnal, but a lot of milk drinkers in these last days. Perfect to be led to apostasy. Perfect. You see? If that's you, if you know, you have to be honest with yourself. If you're a baby Christian, if you're a baby Christian, you just became a Christian today. You know, praise be to the Lord. You're a baby, but rightfully so. If you you became a Christian last month, you're a baby, rightfully so. But if you've been a milk drinker for a year, five years, ten years, okay, now, you know, that's not good. That's not good at all. You see, you need to grow. You need to matriculate. It was bad for Corinth, and that was just three years. You see? So concerning virgins, Paul says, I have no command from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in His mercy has made trustworthy. He's not lording over anybody. He says in verse 26, I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of this present distress. He, He says, I deem, therefore, that this is good, or I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of this present distress. What is the present distress? Well, you remember the the correlating time frame here is when there was a great commotion about the way. Remember we studied that in the book of Acts? The cost of being a Christian, it was it was getting noticed. It was getting noticed. There was a lot of people. People were coming to Christ, but people were getting mad at Christians too. Because we were a people of the way. Today we are a people of the way, but back then we were a people of the way still. And there was a great commotion about the way. And not only that, but there's also a great shakeup that's happening in the church. Induced by the Lord through Paul. And those in the household of Chloe. Because they were, hey, there's something wrong in the church in Corinth, Paul. Those in the household of Chloe, they write a letter. They let Paul know, hey, there's all this stuff going on. There's these divisions. There's a guy having sex with his dad's wife. What's happening here, Paul? The pastors aren't saying anything. The elders aren't saying anything. And there's this great shakeup in the church. I remember in chapter 5, verse 11, not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, covetous, idolater, reviler, drunkard, extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. Imagine that shakeup in the church. Imagine, you know, friends and family friends and all these, oh, you guys don't want to hang out with us anymore. It's like, yeah, I don't want to hang out with you, not because I hate you, but because I love the Lord. You want to have sex with your dad's wife? I I can't hang out with you. It's not because I hate you, it's because of your own decision. 
You want to be a, a covetous, an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, an extortioner? It's not because I hate you. It's because I love with, I love the Lord. And I can't hang out with you. It's because of your own doing. Look at that shakeup that's happening in the church in Corinth. The shakeup that is not happening in the church today. And Paul says, I suppose, therefore, that this is good in verse 26 because of the present distress. So there's the, you know, the, uh, the outside distress of what's happening, like the, the commotion about the way. And then there's also this additional distress of this shakeup that's happening in the church. He says that it is good for a man to remain as he is, to remain as he is. Remember in uh, uh, chapter 5, verse 11. When, you know, Paul makes all mention of these things, not to keep company with anyone named a brother. He makes mention of all these things. There's this huge division, this breakup that's happening in the church, this division that's happening in the church. And rightfully so, it's division because of truth. And then at the same time, we understand that he says that it's good for a man to remain as he is. So it, he's not saying, you know, don't get married. He's not saying don't get married at all. He's just saying, hold on a second, you guys. You know, remember, he's speaking to the virgins in verse 25, now concerning virgins. So he's speaking to the virgins. You know, maybe young people who, you know, maybe they want to get married or maybe they're just, you know, when you're young, you know, you have all the hormones or whatever, you know, and it's like, wow, you know, all this sex is on the horizon. And Paul's just saying like, wait, just hold on, hold on, guys. I mean, picture this church. You know, those slim pickings in this church. Picture this remnant that remains. All the extortioners, the sexually immoral, the idolaters, the drunkards, the revilers, the covetous, the revilers. They're all gone. You know, they left. There's this division that. So think about the, the leftovers. Who's remained? Maybe, maybe you know, carnally speaking, maybe, you know, there were a, 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 a guy who was an idolater. You know, and maybe he's now he's now left. He's been not ostracized, but this uh, division that happened from the truth of God's word. And maybe there's a female who's like, oh man, he's gone now. What do I do? Do I go out and marry him? Because, you know, we were in love and yeah, he was a drunkard, but we were in love. Do I go and marry him? And Paul is saying, hold on, you guys. Hold on. Let's let the Lord bring some calm to this things that are happening in the church. Let's just let the Lord bring calm. Hold on. He's not saying, hey, don't get married, you know, because, you know, I hate you. I want to be cruel to you. I don't want you to experience this. I don't want you to have your babies. I don't. He's not saying that at all. He just says, are you bound to a wife in verse 27? Are you engaged to a wife? Or are you engaged is how it translates in verse 27. Do not seek to be loosed because we see this aspect of reconciliation do not seek to be loosed are you loosed from a wife or are you engaged from are you not engaged do not seek a wife so which is it which is it it's to say wait a second let's just be patient because that's what happens with truth truth goes forth and then truth is received and then truth is processed and then we know biblically speaking what happens in Luke 8 what happens to that seed the people respond Sometimes they leave, sometimes they stay. And of the ones that stay, that's called the remnant. 
You see? And for you single people, the remnant, that's the best place to find a spouse. The remnant. Not in the world. Not in, you know, an apostate church. You know, not in a carnal church. Not in a, a, a hypocrite church. But among the remnant. That's the best place to find a spouse. Because you can, you know, if you're a wife, your husband's not going to say, Hey, wife, submit to me, submit to me, submit to me. No, he's going to submit to Jesus Christ. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ who's going to tell you, wife, submit to your husband. And you're going to be safe. You're not going to have a husband who says, Hey, let's go grave soaking tonight. Oh, yeah, let's go grave soaking tonight. Let's partake and let's look at glitter fall down and call it the Holy Spirit and worship the glitter. You're not going to have that in the remnant. You're not going to have a wife who says, hey, it's ladies night, so I'm going to go out with my friends and I'm going to, you know, get drunk. You know, don't worry. We have a uh, the, the, the designated driver. Don't worry, husband. We have the designated driver. I'm going to go out ladies night. We're just going to have a fun night. And the wife comes almost smashed. You're not going to have that. Why? Because the remnant doesn't do that. So Paul's just saying, look, let's let's let the waters come. Let's let the Lord bring calm waters. Let's let him quiet. The, and that's what truth does. That's what truth does. That's, that's the best place to find a spouse. If you're single, you know, people, I've talked to single people. They say, oh, I want to go to the big church because that's where all the cute boys go. I want to go to the big church because that's where all the cute girls are. But it's carnally thinking. I mean, I get it. I understand it. Man, if that's what you're after, if that's what you're seeking, I mean, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Not seek first the cute girls, not seek first the cute guys. Seek first the kingdom of God. And then all these things will be added unto you. And Paul's not trying to be mean-spirited and saying these things. He's just saying, hold on, guys. You, you, you virgins, hold on. Let's just wait. In verse 28, but even if you do marry, remember he's speaking to the virgins, even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh. Such will have burdens, anguish, and pressure in the flesh. And you know what? That was my wife. She was a backslidden Christian. She had no business marrying me. And she did marry me. And in our marriage, she repented because she, she found out the error of her ways. She married a monster. She found out. And she repented. And so like, she got married. Our marriage, she wasn't in sin. We got married. She wasn't in sin. That's what Paul is saying here. You know, even if you do marry, you have not sinned. If a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh. And she sure had trouble, my wife. She sure had trouble. She wasn't in sin. We got married. She didn't sin. But she surely had burdens. She surely had anguish. She surely had pressure. And it's not to say that it can't lead to sin. Paul's not saying, you know, he's, he's saying that, you know, you have not sinned, but that's not saying that trouble, that in the flesh can't lead to sin. But 
you're going to have trouble. That's what Paul is saying here. You're going to have trouble. You are, you are, you, you're going to get married and you're going to have trouble. And this trouble can lead to sin. And Paul is just saying here at the end of verse 28, but I would spare you. It's warning to, to be careful. It's like, but I would spare you. It's like a warning, but to be careful. I would spare you. Like if Paul were talking to my wife before we got married, if Paul would have a little conversation with my wife before we got married, and my wife were to say, hey, Paul, this guy proposed to me. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on a second. Like, okay, what's happening here? You're going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble and it could lead to sin. You know, I'm not trying to be mean, but, you know, I would spare you. You see, that's all he's saying here to the virgins, the unmarried people. I love this so much because, you know, this is hardcore. This is hardcore stuff that we're talking about here because a lot of marriages are a mess. The world is the world. But inside the church, a lot of marriages are a mess. And then, you know, these young kids, they want to get married. They desire to get married, which is, a, it's not a bad thing at all. But both for the single and for the married and for the widows and for the widowers, for all of us, understand that there's a better marriage that awaits us. There is a better husband that awaits us. You see, there is the bridegroom that is coming. We will receive our glorified bodies. The wise virgin, the foolish one, no. The foolish one will get weeping and gnashing of teeth. But the wise virgin, glorified bodies. It's promised to us. And so look what happens here in verse 29. But this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Verse 29 is powerful. Now, there's a part of me that wants to say highlight verse 29. But there's another part of me that says don't highlight verse 29. I'll say this, and you have to be honest with yourself. If you see yourself as mature, in Christ or maturing in Christ. Highlight verse 29. But if you're not there yet, don't highlight verse 29. Because verse 29 isn't a license to be single and mingle. No way. No way. It's to serve the Lord. It's to serve the Lord. Remember? Aboda Aboda Mishkan. Remember? If you remember our study through the Old Testament. Leviticus and, you know, where we're at in Numbers or, you know, getting to Numbers. If you, if you hear, Abadah, Abadah, Mishkan, what in the world is he talking about? Listen to our study of Leviticus. Well, which chapter? All of it. Abadah, Abadah, Mishkan, it is holy. Holy. If you're mature or on your way to maturity or maturing, highlight verse 29. If you're not, don't highlight it. For married people. The time is short so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. 
It's not to go out and party. It's not like a men, a men can think, oh, wow, yeah, cool, look, the Bible says I should live as though I didn't have a wife. Cool, let's go to the bar, let's go club, and let's go to the strip clubs, let's do this, let's go snort our lines, let's go party, you know, live it up. No way. No way. Are you a wise virgin or not? I mean, are you a virgin or not? Spiritually speaking now. Are you a virgin or not? And if you are a virgin, are you a wise one or are you a foolish one? Because such mindset, oh yeah, I can be single. Biblically, I can be single. No, that's not even the thought pattern of a virgin. Get your mind out of the gutter. Male and female. You can't think that way. It's not Paul saying, hey, married people, live as though you're single. No. He's saying, hey, married people, the time is short. From now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. It's to serve the Lord. To serve the Lord. Remember verse 32. He who is married care for the th- cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. And verse 34. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy. Holy. Both in body and in spirit. That's the objective. To serve the Lord with a pure heart, a pure mind. Abodah, abodah, mishkan. He's not saying in verse 29, hey, be single so you can do this, do that, and you know, be with these other guys, be with these other girls. He's not saying that at all. That's carnally thinking. That's not even the thought pattern of a virgin, let alone a wise virgin. In verse 30, those who weep as though they did not weep, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, those who buy as though, as though they did not possess. No distractions. No distractions. It's so powerful. So powerful what Paul is writing here. He says, hey church, be heavenly minded. Be heavenly minded. Keep our eyes on the prize. Run our race. Lay aside all those things which so easily ensnare us. Put it all aside. So that we can serve the Lord. He says in verse 31. And those who use this world as not misusing it. Or those who use. Translates as to furnish what is needed. Those who use this world as not misusing it. Not abusing it. You see. This is a consecrated people. Unmarried and married alike. For the form of this world or the fashion and the uh, 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 the fashion of this world or the form of this world is passing away. This is prophetic. It's passing away. We know it's going to pass away. This prophecy that's happened. Look at the Pope. The Pope is going around the world saying that he just got back from uh, uh, Ur. You know, Ur, where, you know, he wants to go back. He went back. This was last week. He goes to Ur, and he goes there, and he wants to to unite the faiths of Abraham. Speaking of Islam and Christianity, he goes to Ur. What does the Bible say to Abraham? Get out of Ur. He's doing, somebody get that guy a Bible. He needs to teach, he needs to learn. So he, he, somebody needs to teach him. He doesn't even know the Bible. Vicar of Christ, I say vicar of Antichrist. And potentially even the beast from the earth. Beware of the seven hills of Rome. And I say seven hills for a reason. 
to those who have ears. The form of this world is passing away. Passing away. The end of the age is coming. And he says in verse 32, But I want you to be without care. You see Paul's heart. I want you to be without care, church. That's what he's saying. This, you know, he's not laying out the law and saying, Thus saith the Lord. He's giving his suggestions. He's giving, you know, like, not even suggestions. Remember, he's saying, like, you know, this isn't from the Lord. This is from me. You see that? And I love it that it's captured in Scripture because you see his heart. His heart is so closely aligned with the Lord that the Lord is saying, That's my word, Paul. I want you to be without care, he says in verse 32. His motives are pure. He wants, his, he wants the church to be secure without anxiety is how it translates. Without concern, without care. To, to, to be carefree. To be carefree. That's what he wants for the church. He's not saying, hey, you who are married, pretend you're unmarried so you can go to the clubs. Pretend you're unmarried so that you can hang out with these guys and hang out with these ladies. Pretend you're unmarried so you can go party. No, he says, live as though you're unmarried. Why? Because he says in verse 32, he who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. It's to please the Lord. To please him. You see how his motives are pure? Paul's motives? The utmost impurity. To serve the Lord. Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan. Hebrew. Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. In this word, how he may please his wife, it's to be agreeable and to seek to be pleasing. You see? Now, a lot of men have this idea in their head. Wives, submit. You got to submit to me. You got to submit to me. Don't forget verse 3, men. Don't forget verse 3 and verse 33. It says how he may please his wife, how he may be agreeable and seek to be pleasing to his wife. And don't forget, you give her the kindness and affection that is owed to her. That is biblical. That is biblical. So, you couple this with some other passages that we looked at in, in brevity in our earlier mention. So, how he may please his wife, how he may be agreeable and seek to be pleasing. And don't forget that you have to be kind and show her affection that is owed to her. And then don't forget, men, don't forget that you have to love your wife like Christ loves the church. And don't forget that you can't deal treacherously with the wife of your youth. And don't forget that you have to Honor your wife so that your prayers be not hindered. Wow. See? I think wives got it pretty good. Pretty good. I mean, if you have an unbelieving husband, that's another thing. An unbelieving husband that doesn't want to apply these things in his life. An unfaithful husband that doesn't want to apply these things in his life. Then we got a whole new ball game, wife. And that is what verse 14 is. The unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. And then verse 16. How do you know, a wife, whether you will save your husband? You see? A lot of women in the church, Christian women, my sisters, a lot of you are married to babies. Married to babies. 
and rejoice. I praise the Lord because you know what? My wife was married to a baby. My wife was married to a baby and it was the Lord who intervened. He messed me up. But he also trained me. Saved me through my wife. Sanctified me through my wife. And if you're married to a baby, you can do the same for your husband. You see? And a lot of men, wife, you submit to me, you submit to me, you submit to me. Never submitting to Jesus Christ. And in submission to Jesus Christ, I say, you know, to be agreeable, to be seek to be pleasing to your wife, uh, to, to be kind and uh, 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 affection that is owed to her. Love your wife sacrificially like Christ loves the church. Don't deal treacherously with her and honor her so that your prayers not be hindered. You see? And for you unmarried people, you, you were studying this. You know now, you officially know these things. You, so you know going in what marriage, what a husband, what a wife should be, biblically speaking. So if you're, if, if you're in courtship or if you enter courtship and, you know, your boyfriend or your girlfriend, you know, does things that bring dishonor, not just to the Lord, but to you as well. I mean, if you have a boyfriend that deals treacherously with you, those are red flags. Oh, but he's so cute. He's so cute. I don't care what he looks like. That's going to change. Give it 20 years. That's going to change. <laughs> I, I, I guarantee you, 20 years down the road, that's going to change. Maybe 10 years, maybe five years. That's going to change. Who cares what he looks like? <laughs> oh. For you guys. You know, oh, you know, if if your if your wife is a flu or your girlfriend or the one you want to court or whatever, if she's a floozy and she's like, you know, hey, let's take our relationship to the next level, you know, you know, red flags. Oh, but she's so cute, she's so cute. I guarantee you, that's not even gonna take five years. Just wait till the makeup's gone. That's not even gonna take five years. It's gonna ten years, it'll be totally different. Who cares about looks? I mean, I get look. I understand that. I, I get it. But when you're transformed into the image of Christ, you know what happens supernaturally? He changes your eyesight. Changes it completely. Instead of a 20-20 vision, he, or, you know, if you have 20-20, he gives you, I don't know, 77-77 vision. You see completely different. Completely different. Your perception of beauty changes. In verse 33, but he who is married cares about the things of this world, of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. How beautiful is that? And for you single people, I know single people who are 40 years old, 45 years old. I mean, I know some 40-year-olds that are single for a reason. You know, they're just jerks. They're, they're very difficult to be around. And they're going to be single forever because they're jerks. But then I know some 40-year-olds, 45, 50-year-olds who are single because they love the Lord. They lo and they have the most beautiful, beautiful countenance. Men and women. The most beautiful, beautiful countenance. It's like, wow, I want to be with this person and just have a cup of coffee, talk and pray and rejoice. But they're few and far between. 
And if you're single and that's you and you've made this decision to wait the coming marriage, the, the better marriage, the better husband, I rejoice with you. Even when you're shunned. In the church, you go to church and you're shunned. People are trying, oh, you know, I want you to meet this guy. I want you to meet this girl. And you're like, look, no, you know, I, I, I'm not down with that. I don't want to do that. And you're kind of like the black sheep in the church. But it is so beautiful. And the Lord knows. Very few see. But the Lord knows. And Paul is saying here, there's a difference between the wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. So it's a two-way road which is to be agreeable and seek to be pleasing. That's what the wife does to the husband. The husband does it to the wife too. Concerned about the things of the world. And not the, the things of the world like the world per se, but like, you know, there are certain things that, uh, I guess, creature comforts, I could say, that the wife likes, creature comforts that the husband likes, and the wife does it for the husband, the wife, husband does it for the wife. But when you don't have a wife, when you don't have a husband, you don't have to concern yourself with these things. Why? Because the bridegroom that's coming, he, he has, he's different. He's the better husband, the better bride, the better marriage. You see? And don't forget verse 29. From now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. The more, you know, if you're mature, highlight verse 29. I mean, and you, you have to be honest with yourself. If you're not, if you're a milk drinker, don't highlight verse 29. You know, if this is only for the mature. So picture a church, mature, married people, but like verse 29 says, as unmarried and then unmarried, no sexual immorality. People aren't doing their sexual stuff. It's just pure hearts, pure minds, the mindset, every thought is being into captivity, into the obedience of Christ. Everybody's thought patterns are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, praiseworthy. We're all meditating on these things. Picture a church like that. Mature. Married, but unmarried. And then unmarried. No sex, nothing happening, you know, no sexual activity. Praying, a church praying. A church that is fasting. And we're all about the Lord's business to the death. That's, that's like a dream. That's a dream all about the Lord's business. Putting away the things which so easily ensnare us. That's why, you know, remember our study in the book of Acts? That's a different church. It's not like the church you see today. That's a different church. Remember when they were praying, the church was praying when Paul was in jail and the church was home praying and then, you know, the Lord had the rescue mission or, or, or Peter was in jail and the church was praying and Peter even thought, he, he thought he was dreaming but the angel was rescuing him. The angel said, hurry up, Peter. 
I mean, can you imagine Peter, like, in bed, and he's laying there, or not in bed, but, like, you know, maybe he's laying on rocks, laying on dirt, and he's laying there, kind of eyes, like, you know, what's happening here, kind of eyes just open up a little bit, and he's, he's thinking he's dreaming, he's like, wow, is this a dream, hi, angel, you know, he sees, I mean, I, you know, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but then the angel has to tell him, Peter, hurry up, <laughs> you know, Peter, you don't got all day, Peter, <laughs> And so all of a sudden, Peter, the angel leads Peter out of the jail, out of the prison, out of the town. And then Peter's out of the town and he realizes, whoa, this wasn't a dream. I'm really out of jail. The Lord freed me. And then he goes to the house. He walks. It's nighttime. He goes to the house. And the church is praying. The girl answers the door and they, she thinks it's Peter's ghost. Like maybe he died and this is his ghost. She goes inside and says, hey, guys, Peter's here. They think she's crazy. They think she lost her mind. And then finally the reunion happens where Peter's there. You know what's so beautiful? It's a nighttime, night mission. You know, Peter is freed at night. And you know what's so beautiful about this home fellowship? They're praying. They're not sleeping. You know, wee hours of the evening. They're not asleep. Not asleep. They're praying. Even the kids, like the, the girl who went, went and answered the door. Awake, praying. Even the church didn't know what the Lord was doing. The Lord was at work. And the, and the church was praying for Peter, for the Lord to do something, with them, to free Peter. But, you know, they were praying. And while they were praying, the Lord had already answered their praise, their prayers. You see, married people living as those single. Single people who were single so that they could please the Lord. On fire, no sex, no funny business. Three in the morning, no crazy business happening. No drinking, nobody pulling out their alcohol from their shirt. You know, hey guys, I got the good stuff. No, none of that. There's a people that are all about the Lord's business. That's like a dream. You see? In verse 35, in closing, he says... And this I say for your own profit. It's for your own benefit, guys. That's what he's saying. Not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, what is noble and honorable, he says, and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. Bingo. This is what it's all about, to serve the Lord without distraction. And this word for distraction is a, a, a domestic concern for another. You see? Domestic concern for another. Because in a home, a husband is concerned about the things of the world for the wife. A wife is concerned about the things of the world for the husband. And if they have kids, the things of the world for the wife and the husband. For the, for the, for the wife, it's for the husband and the kids. And Paul's saying that, that you may serve the Lord without distraction. Domestic concern for another. You see? He's not saying that this is a command. You have to do this, you know? He's not saying that, you know, you... you but he's just... Laying this out there. You see? Laying this out there. To serve the Lord without distraction. He says it for, he says in verse 35, I say this for your own profit. Not to put a leash on you. Like if you're single and you want to get married, Paul's not saying, you know, don't get married. He's saying it's okay to get married. 
but there's a better marriage. You see? And if you're married, don't get divorced. I mean, there are conditions. I mean, if, if, if you're a believing wife and your non-believing husband says, I want a divorce and he leaves, you still be at peace with the Lord. You, you can have peace in the Lord because you're, you look forward to the better marriage that awaits. But that doesn't mean you go out and get another husband. No, two options. You see? You stay unmarried or, you know, reconciled to your husband. And vice versa, husband to the wife too. Now, we study these passages. We look at these passages. We study them. We read them. We understand them. And I know there might be some people who are like, oh my goodness, like, I'm in trouble. I never knew. Well, if that's you, you're only in trouble if you don't repent. Repent. Make sure your heart is right before the Lord. And not just right, soft before the Lord. You see? And Paul says, he said, not, not to put a leash on you. I say this for your prophet, he says. To serve the Lord without distraction. You see, that's his heart. In verse 36, but if any man thinks he is behaving improperly toward his, toward his virgin... If she has passed the flower of her youth, and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let them marry. So verse 36 is regarding uh, uh, um, like a fiancé. If any man thinks he is behaving improperly toward his virgin or maiden or the unmarried or a, a, a fiancé, if she has passed the flower of her youth, so she's beyond the summit of her youth. So basically she's like an old lady. I mean, beyond the summit of her youth. So I don't know. I don't. I was gonna throw an age number out, but I, I, I better not. I better not throw an age number out. <clears throat> uh, in verse, if she has passed the flower of her youth, this is like a, you know she's an old lady beyond the summit of her youth. She's an old lady, and thus it must be like the marriage. It must be. Let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let them marry. So engaged people, rather than, you know, uh, uh, to, to behave improperly, just get married. You know, you, so you, you have a couple, they're engaged and, you know, they're, they do things secretly. Oh, you know, uh, uh, um, we're not going to have sex, but we're going to, you know, go to, you know, third base or whatever. I don't know how you say it, but, you know, we're not going to do go to, you know, home base, but we're going to go to third base. We're going to go to second base. We're going to do this. Instead of having that mindset or instead of doing that, that which is sin, instead of having that mindset, which is still sin because you haven't brought your, your thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, it's still sin. Instead of doing that, just get married. Just get married. Just like he says in the earlier verses, he says, if you cannot exercise, in verse 9, with, if you cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. It is better to marry than to burn with passion. So none of, none of these games, none of this funny business. That's why, you know, some people say, oh, yeah, will you marry me? The wife says, yeah. Or the girl says, you know, the, the guy says, will you marry me? The girl says, yes, I'll marry you. When you, gotta, when you wanna get married, they schedule it for like two, two years out. You know, that's stupid. It, like two weeks later, you know, <laughs> just elope. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I don't wanna sound like I don't like weddings. I like weddings. You know, they're okay, but. 
it's the 20 year anniversary is to be celebrated way more than the wedding day. The 40 year anniversary, the 60 year anniversary, and after 60 years, I mean, you might make it to 50 years, 60 years. I mean, age wise, not divorce wise, but age wise. Because not too many people make it to 60 years marriage because they die. They're old people. But then you see old people, old couple, you know, they're all wrinkly and old and they're believers and at their 60 year wedding anniversary. Oh my goodness, that's to be celebrated more than the wedding day. You know why? Because they've made it. They've made it. They've, you know, the whole time they've made it. Faithful to the Lord, faithful to each other. You see, that's to be celebrated more. But no, everybody celebrates the wedding. You have all the family, all the feasts, everybody at the wedding day. And nobody at the anniversary. Nobody at the 20-year mark. Nobody at the 40-year mark. Nobody at the 60-year mark. You see? Which is beautiful in itself because it's a husband, his wife. A wife, her husband, and the Lord. All before the Lord. But all these people, they play these funny games. You know, oh, we're engaged. You know, let's set our engagement for two years down the road. You know, we got to do this. I want to do this. And, you know, we're going to set it for two years down the road. And meanwhile, we're going to go to first base, second base, third base, maybe home run every now and then. You know, third base here, second base. No, that's carnally minded. That's the old man, the old woman. No, just get married. Because it's better than to burn with passion. That's what he's saying here. He does not sin. Let them marry. And so in verse 37, Nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but has power over his own will, and has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin, does well. You see? So verse 37, He who stands steadfast, which is immovable in his heart, having no necessity. So he's not needy. Not needy. You see these... You know, needy people. I get it. I understand it. Especially carnally speaking. You know, with the flesh when it comes to, to sex. You know, we're not rabbits. You know, the Lord, we're, we're created. as we're, we're people. We're mankind. We're not rabbits. Okay, but you see these people. I've talked to men before in, 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 in ministry meetings where they say their mind, you know, they can be like porn producers, pornography producers. And it's like the most disgusting thing ever. And I feel bad for the wives. Because the wives don't even know, man, she married a sick puppy. She's got a sick puppy on her hand and she has no idea. The daughters, man, the daughters have a sick puppy for a dad. That is one sick puppy and they have no idea. You see, even the little sons, you know, wow. This sick puppy is raising these kids. They're in for a world of hurt. Unless they, unless he repents and changes his ways. Pastors, elders, youth leaders, Bible teachers, they speak with dirty minds. They have their dirty minds because they have their eyes on dirty things. Remember the outpouring of the heart. Not what goes into a man which defiles a man, but what comes out of his mouth. Because what comes out of his heart, the outpouring of the heart. What does a guy speak about? You go hang out with your friends. And they, they start speaking about, oh, yeah, we go to strip clubs, we go to the bars, we do all these things. The pornography, it's the outpouring of the heart. Because it reveals what's in their heart. So this, in verse 37, he's speaking about the opposite. Somebody who is steadfast and immovable, having no necessity. He doesn't have these carnal needs, carnal passions. His mind is clean, mind is pure. 
and says, but has power over his own will, which is mastery and strength over his own will or his own desires. You see? And has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin or keep his fiancée. And this word for keep, it's a military term, which is to keep and to guard. But regarding marriage, it's to refrain from marriage. That's how the word is in the, in the Greek. To refrain from marriage. So he's saying, I'm not going to get married. And such a person does well. How powerful is that? Such a guy, he doesn't have those carnal needs, carnal passions. He's like the eunuch that the Lord speaks of when he, you know, when, when the disciple says, it sounds like it's better not to get married. And Jesus says, that's not for everybody. Not everybody can accept that. But one that has made himself a eunuch, you know, it, for the Lord, is to serve the Lord. That's what Paul is speaking about. This person is steadfast in his heart, having no necessity. He's not a sex head. He's not addicted to pornography. His power over his own will, his own desires, mastery and strength over his own desires. And instead of getting married, he's refraining from marriage. That he will refrain from his virgin, his fiance. And such a person does well. In verse 38, so then he who gives her in marriage. Now, how this translates in the Greek, he he who he then who gives her in marriage, it, it's like to espouse, it's like a verb, it's to espouse through nuptials. Nuptials, it's to espouse through nuptials. So he who espouses through nuptials does well. Does well, but then but he who does not give her in marriage, which is the, the verb, it's like to espouse through nuptials, but he who does not give her in marriage does better you see so it's to understand that wait a second giving in marriage to espouse through nuptials that's good it's not bad it's perfectly fine it's it's good but then he who does not give he who does not espouse through nuptials does better you see does that mean that you can, you know, uh, 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 avoid, marry, refrain from marriage, uh, uh, refrain from espousal through nuptials? Does that mean that you do that so you can go to the bars, you can go out and party and be single and mingle? Does that mean that? No way. But it's to serve the Lord. To serve the Lord. Just like verse 32 says, he who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. And then in verse 34, the unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. Emphasis on in body. That's my emphasis. I have to stress that. That's my emphasis in body. Emphasis in body. You know, I get fashions. I get, you know, everybody wants to be in the latest fashions. I get that. I understand that. But there's something beautiful about discreetness in attire. And I say that to my beautiful sisters. It's beautiful to be discreet in attire. Both in body and in spirit. This the unmarried woman cares of the things of the Lord, that she may be holy, both in body and in spirit. Remember, Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan. 
So verse 38, it's not to say that marriage is bad, marriage is good. But he who does not give her in marriage or he who does not espouse through nuptials does better. And it's to serve the Lord who is the better husband, you see, in accordance to the better marriage that is coming. To all who believe. To all who believe. Now we can boil that down, all who believe, but do you obey? Remember, to obey is better than the fat of rams. And in obedience, are you a virgin? And in that state of being a virgin, spiritually speaking, in that state of being a virgin, are you foolish or are you wise? You see? These are things that the remnant has to work out with fear and trembling. As we move on to perfection, as we become more wise, you see? And so we see here in verse 39, a wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives, but if her husband dies, so wives, don't kill your husbands. Don't kill your husbands. That's murder. That's not good. (laughs) A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives. But if her husband dies, she is at liberty to be married to whom she wishes. Remember our study in Romans 7, how death, the emphasis of death. I mean, if you you don't want to talk about, listen to our study through Romans 7. Because in in, in Romans 7, Paul speaks about to be be dead through the law. And verse 4, we looked at that already in, in brevity, but we looked at it. To become dead through the law, through the body of Christ, that we may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. You see? So in this case, in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 39, a wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives, but if her husband dies, she she is at liberty to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. You see? I don't care. You met this nice Buddhist guy, and he's really cute. He's really gorgeous. He's a Buddhist. Don't do it. That's unequally yoked. Don't do it. You see? Oh, but you know, this guy's really cute. Is he a believer? No, no, no. He's not a believer. He's, you know, he's an atheist. Foolishness. Don't do that. You see, remember what Paul says to the, uh, in verse 8, but I say to the unmarried and the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. It's to, Unmarried. And it's not for the sake of being unmarried, like, like Paul is saying, hey, I want to be cool to you. I want you to be unmarried. I don't want you to, to, to experience love anymore. It's a different kind of relationship. It's that between you and the Lord Jesus Christ. The lover of body and the lover of soul and the lover of spirit. No earthly husband can go there. No earthly husband can can please that way. No earthly husband can touch that way. Only the Lord can. Male, female, it doesn't matter. Only the Lord can touch you that way. In the depths of your heart, to the marrow, only Jesus Christ can. And marriage to Him. When you're unmarried, you care for the things of the Lord, how you may please the Lord. That's what Paul is saying here. If you, it's okay to get married again, but only a little. Don't marry a Buddhist. Don't marry the Hare Krishna. You know, don't marry the whatever, the Catholic. I don't care how cute he is. 
That's what Paul is saying. You're at liberty. She is at liberty to be married to whom she wishes. I mean, if the husband dies, but only in the Lord. But then he says this, but she is happier if she remains as she is, which is what's single, like a widow now, because the husband is dead. She is happier, which translates as well-off, fortunate, and supremely blessed. She is happier if she remains as she is. Now, a little comment I have, something I've noticed by observation. Divorcees, people who are on their second marriage, the large majority of people on their second marriage, and third and fourth, but, you know, fifth even. But a large majority of such people are miserable. But this is by observation, my observation. Miserable. Some of them I've spoken to and they regret their second, they're in their second marriage and they regret their second marriages. After a Bible study, kind of like we're having now with a group of men, one of the guys pulls me aside and says, my first marriage could have worked out fine. If I apply these things that we looked at, my first marriage could be fine. A lot of people that are in their second marriages regret their second marriages and even more so in their third, fourth, and fifth. And then you have the family dynamics too. You know, divorce, marriage, you know, you got split custody, 50% over here, 50% over there, and the kids are like yo-yos. It messes up the kids. It messes up. I mean, look at kids of divorced homes, of broken homes. Look at the kids. Psychologically, they're a mess. Because they're like yo-yos. And sometimes the parents use them as like pawns. They use them as an attack tool for the ex. And the kids know it. And then they're messed up. And then it perpetuates this wickedness. It perpetuates. It gets worse and worse. Because Satan, remember, he likes to seduce. He likes to draw away until hearts become harder and harder and harder. And finally, they're just gone. It's not to say a heart can be made soft again, but that such a person needs to be broken. You see, that's what's so beautiful about brokenness in the hands of the Lord. You know, sometimes, you know, the pits, pits aren't like the, the, the worst place to be because a person get, digs deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and it gets darker and darker and darker. And yes, pits are ugly. But sometimes the pit is, envelops a person all around. You look forward, left, right, behind, down. All you see is pit. The only thing you can do is look up. Pits don't have to be the ugliest place. They're ugly. But a person can look up. And a state of brokenness, the only one that can lift such a person is Jesus Christ. And I say these things from experience. The Lord did that to me. He broke me too. He messed me up. But he did it to me. You know how? Through my wife. As I was sanctified, purified by her and saved. Just as it says in verse 16, how do you know a wife whether you will save your husband? And that's what the Lord did to me. She saved me. She saved me. The Lord saved me, but through my wife. And it's so beautiful when you see what Scripture is applied in a home, married or unmarried. 
Scripture is applied in our heart. Because I met all these people who say, oh yeah, the Holy Spirit, He does these things in the book of Acts, but that's for another dispensation. That's not for today. You, see, you read the Bible, you see absolutely zero expiration date on the Holy Spirit. Zero expiration date. But then you have so many people in so-called churches who say, oh yeah, the Holy Spirit doesn't move like this anymore. The expiration date on the Holy Spirit was 2,000 years ago. No way. No way. The Lord is still at work. The Lord still does miracles. You might see your husband, you might see your wife is so far gone. If you're a wife, and I say wife to husband because it's very common with men where we go off into crazy town because we're stupid. We, you know, physically speaking, women, girls mature more than boys, faster than boys. You know, and the same could be applied spiritually too. I mean, I, I used to, it used to blow me away so much because when I started to mature in Christ, I would go to church on Wednesdays and I would look around and very few men, a lot of women, a lot of old women, women coming with their children and the guys stay home. I mean, Sundays, it, everything's packed. Sundays, you see the guys, you see, you know, young men, you see the teenage men, these teenage boys, you see the old men, you see all these, but on Wednesday nights, oh my goodness, it was like a sea of women couple guys in the crowd like wow where are the men but we're we're babies you know I mean, if you're if, if we it, 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 it sometimes we grow but sometimes it takes like just like with like um uh, like it, it, it takes a while for us to grow just like we see in the natural world i mean have you ever talked with like a a, like a 15-year-old girl. And you have a conversation with a 15-year-old girl and you're like, wow, I feel like it's like I'm talking to an adult. Like, wow, it's so mature. Like, mature subject matter. And then you talk to a 15-year-old boy and you got to talk about, like, cartoons, you know? It's like, okay. <laughs> you're not having that same conversation until that guy is 30. You see? It, it, the same can be applied spiritually, too. And it's so beautiful because a wife sacrificially can pour into her husband. And how do you know a wife whether you will save your husband? You see? And the whole time Satan is trying to trick you. Oh, your husband is such a heathen. Why don't you just divorce him? You see? No, you pray for your husband. You intercede for your husband. And just like a verse... 39, and when Paul says it's okay if your white your husband dies, it's okay to get married. Only in the Lord. But then he says she is happier if she remains as she is to be single. To be single. You see? Because you look forward to the better husband. You look forward to the husband that's coming. Jesus Christ is his name. He says this in verse 40, according to my judgment, according to my opinion, according to my counsel. And I think I also have the spirit of God. I love this so much. Because you see Paul's heart. Remember the church that was a mess in Corinth? The church that was a complete and total mess. A lot of sex in the church in Corinth. I mean, so much, so dirty sex that wasn't even named among the Gentiles. Like the outside, the outside world, 
if in the outside world knew that a guy in the church was having sex with his dad's wife, that it's not even named among the gen. It's not even out. It's not even in the world. And yet here it is in the church. And we're a consecrated people unto the Lord. And so the Lord has to clean house and he cleans the house through Paul and those in the household of Chloe. But Paul had to write about these heavy, heavy subject matter about sex, fleeing idolatry, fleeing sexual sin. And then he speaks about, you know, marriage. And then for those who are married, that like in verse 29, from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Such a mindset requires maturity. And that's so that we can be single and party, no single, and serve the Lord. You see? Unto the Lord. Service unto the Lord. A New Testament example, a new covenant example of Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan. God bless you guys. Love you guys.